Welcome to Boston. Okay, sweet. Yo. What? So, man. <laughs> what happened? We, nothing happened. Well, okay. actually, what happened was we had a guest scheduled for this week, and uh, we had to push that back. So we had to, I don't want to say scramble to find a new episode, but I found out actually, what, 15 minutes ago that we were going to be joined by a special guest today because... It just got buried in the chat yesterday with Greg talking about Weezer and Nirvana records that he purchased at Target. <laughs> at, at Target. So, and, my, and don't forget that Smashing Pumpkins t-shirt. Yo, and I was there yesterday too at Target, by the way. I went actually three times in the past week because that's what happens with Target, right? You're like, oh, I fucking forgot to buy tofu and ripple and polar seltzer and deodorant and I got to go back. And while I'm here, might as well get this fucking ice cube t-shirt or whatever. So... Um, anyway, Jason, yo, tell us what we're doing here today. Uh, today we're going to be joined by Anthony Papalardo, author of Radio Silence, Heaven or Las Vegas, Live Suburbia, um, guitar player for, as you know, what's that? (laughs) I said the author of The Difference Between. That's right. The author of (laughs) Nothing to Hide, The Difference Between. Anthony, Um, I have a really burning question. Yeah, is for it, sure. Is it live suburbia or live suburbia? It's a live suburbia, like a live record. Is okay. the inspo. Great. Okay, nice. carry on, Jason. Thanks. I just had to get that out. It's been it's been <laughs> bothering me for like ten years. For ten years. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think Anthony. I mean, we've we've referenced Radio Silence so much in the podcast, and um, I think it was just uh, an idea to have you come on. Talk to us about Rev because you seem to be the expert in Rev history. Um, you've written articles for the hundreds. Um, so we're psyched that you're joining us. Cool. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say an expert. I just have a lot of access and um, I have a weird, I have a pretty good memory. And then I have a lot of people to fact check my memory. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that stuff. I like, I just like all the minutia of that. But I think being, Like when we went, Nathan and I went to Rev and just started going through all the uh, flat files and organizing everything and like finding stuff people hadn't seen for a while. That was a really cool experience because it raised all these questions of like, wait a minute, what was this photo for? Was this going to be this or whatever? Like how come this Mm -hmm. artwork didn't get used? Who did the artwork? So that was a cool like little dig. It was like going inside the Rev uh, brain or whatever. So that was cool. Yeah, you know, I, I live about ten a ten minute drive from Rev, and so I'm able to go dig through some of those files too. Mm-hmm. And the early twelve inch fly, files are probably in the same place where you left them, and then a lot of the CD layout stuff is in a different file. But there's still like gaps. There's still things that I haven't been able to find mm-hmm. in my small digs and i know uh they're kind of weird about me hanging out there too much right now because of like covid or whatever 
but uh you know everybody's masked up there and uh i'm fully vac- vaccinated now so lens it's okay to just give me all that and all I was about access to say, why are you saying COVID like that? Are you a denier? COVID? No. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> no, I'm in Orange County, California, not Orange County, New York. We were, we were going to do a What's rapid coming fire. Down the pike? Coming down the pike, rapid, mm-hmm. rapid fire, kind of quick thoughts on the first 16 rev releases. Um, I think that radio silence deserves its own episode of the pod in general, but I do have to ask about, we're starting with Warzone seven inch. Mm-hmm. So I do want to hear about the lion seven inch cover, how you heard about that, how you got the photo for that. And uh, just the process of getting that I thought was awesome. Yeah. To see I, don't, that photo. I feel like in, in being in new England and like being going to shows in Connecticut, there was always like uh, growing up, there were there were these like uh, like revelation detectives because I was still mm. like being around people who went to the anthrax all the time and like were right in that like little golden era, and so before things were online, there was always uh, you know before everything was kind of cataloged or discogs or whatever, people would be be like they'd really flex that they knew something that you didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, and it would start to be like oh well there's a you know simple things like certain pressing of the side-by-side seven inch folds the other way. And you're like, Oh, what? You know, cause just hearing or whatever, like, uh, Oh, the B side label is different on this. And then someone was talking about that, that war zone cover. And I think it was Jeremy Dean had seen it or so- someone had seen it and was like, it's got this wild, like Letraset lettering that was like called like, you know, like Zootopia or something. And I'm like, what the, this sounds bizarre. So when we were there, like, first of all, when we went to Rev, we, we really, we went in there. Our equipment was like, people were tripping out because we looked like we were doing like a Vogue fashion shoot. Like we way overestimated what we needed to do. And we were shooting with like strobe lights and like this big armature, like it took up half the office. It was totally unnecessary. And um, that was intimidating. And we were kind of like punishing Jordan a little bit of like, I'm like, all right, we're here for five days or whatever. I want everything on my checklist, my mental checklist, you know, all the research stuff we had. And we're like, we have to shoot that. And Jordan, you know, he's very aloof. And he kind of like flashed a Jordan grin for a minute and was like, okay, you know, but we got to obscure it because I don't want it bootleg. So that's why it's Jordan's hand in the book. Oh, that's cool. It's his hand. Yeah, which like on one level, I was... I'm not going to say I was heated. I was just kind of like, come on, man, like, let's put this in print. But then on the other hand, I was like, I love preserving certain things, you know, mystery. I thought it was cool. Like, I was like, that's pretty cool because like, if I I don't know what the, what the top looks like. And in a way, like, I don't necessarily really want to know because I think it's kind of cool to just imagine what, what I think it looks like. Yeah. I felt the same way. And I know that if it did, if it was the actual photo, I think you would have uh, people bootleg. Yeah. Cause know. it would just be on some donkey like t-shirt or whatever. Like, I, yes. think, I don't know if it was in the book, but there was a couple t-shirts. Like we folded them when we photographed them. I don't, I don't think they made the book, but it was the same thing. Like Jordan didn't want to bootleg. And I, I think we're responsible for that. Josh says mosh graphic coming out. We might've put it like, the youth of today shirt and we put it on like a blog post or something and then it ended up 
being bootlegged. So, I mean, I don't care. It's cool. People should like make stuff and be creative, but there is something uh, about uh, stuff that becomes sort of like these white whales. And then the next day it's like on some Bobo square ass t-shirt, you know, yeah. screams. it's kind of whack. Whatever. Yeah, as, as <laughs> someone who has been involved in the bootleg t-shirt culture since 2008 or so, I truly believe not everything needs to be bootlegged. Like you just, some stuff, it, it's cool that it exists in a, its original form and we don't need to slap it on a fucking pepper comfort colors. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But also hit me with that pre-order link. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well <said. laughs> Give me that discount code. Yeah. You got a yes. friend's code or what? <laughs> well said. Um, so, yeah, let's jump to uh, New York City Hardcore. Is it wait? Is it New York Hardcore or oh. New York City Hardcore? But I don't think we jump. We didn't get Anthony's thoughts on the uh, on on Warzone the crew, though. Yeah, I kind of want to. I like quick thoughts. What I like about uh, that single is it it introduced kind of like the concept of what they're doing in that like very similar to Discord. We're we're documenting something. And we're going to give it a lot of care. And it kind of doesn't matter what it is. Like just having a Warzone 7-inch was more important than it being like the dopest recording or best representation of the band. And then as I kind of understand it, Warzone was breaking up and that record doing well kind of sparked them to get, you know, back together or or be more active. Um, definitely not. I think with a lot of the early singles, not having access to them immediately or them not being in print, like the LPs or the stuff that was a little easier to get were the ones that I was like jamming all the time. And then the other ones we talked about. Yeah. Like hunting them down, like getting like, um, there would be certain people like, um, Chris Patterson who played in 10 yard fight was like someone I knew from going to shows and I would just, you know, hit him up with like my list of like, I need copies of these things, you know? And then I would be able to like, hear them that way so yeah the warzone seven inch was never one like i it's rad it looks cool it's not my favorite warzone recording you know yeah nor my favorite rev release but i liked that it like it ushered in like an aesthetic and like a mission statement for rev yeah like it's super it's super important but uh when we did the warzone episode which was just javier and myself mm-hmm. like i was kind of like I, for the same reason, like I didn't have access to this. They never reissued it on like a deluxe CD or whatever. Like, so I knew the Warzone LPs, the first two LPs. So by the time I heard this, it was kind of like, it's cool for what it is, but it didn't grab me. Like it's going to grab someone that heard it in 1987. So real quick, fun one. Um, My friend who grew up near the Anthrax, my friend, Chris, different Chris, he was telling me that the first time he saw Warzone, he tripped out. Cause you got to remember, this is like probably 87 and people, I, I hate doing these qualifiers of like back then. Cause it sounds so corny, but like contextually people having like gnarly tattoos was still kind of like a thing. Like you could be the guy with the snake tattoo and he had, so the only photo he had seen in a zine of Warzone, it was reversed. So he was tripping out that like Ray B's line was on the other arm. Uh. <laughs> yeah, he was like he was like what the fuck huh you know like dude it's on the left or whatever and i was like it's just such a funny detail to remember and like trip out on like yeah but but that's oh, how that's much awesome. you would stare at something that'd be like 
you could categorically be like, dude's got the iron cross here, you know, like it's cause you have so little to look at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I got to say real quick before we keep going, when they started the pod, when Greg and Hobb first did episode one, before they recorded it, I said, we got to ask, um, or you got to talk about the lion limited seven inch cover. So it's awesome. You're joining us now. I appreciate cool. it. So Killer. Let's go for Rev002. New York City Hardcore Together Comp 7-inch. Yeah, I love I love that um I love that compilations are like the real starter kit. You know, if you're gonna give like I love the the idea of uh trying to put out like the diversity of your scene. And again, it's like an expansion of it's like another mission statement kind of vibe. And it was cool that they later expanded the together comp because that was sort of my rev starter kit. Um, mm-hmm. My friend, we can get into it later. My friend's mom bought a CD and cassette store, like as they were phasing out records in like 90 or so, maybe 89, 90. And she didn't know what she was doing. And so all the stock was there. And because they had Caroline, like rev was distributed by Caroline, we just had access to all this stuff that normally would have been a lot harder to find. And so we kind of just cherry picked through and we're like on some, like, uh, I don't know, like Rosetta stone of hardcore shit. Yeah. Like, like, fuck, <laughs> like every, cause you know, like, cause you're kind of like budgeting yourself as a kid, right. You can only get so many things per week or month or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, we can just pop on, you know, um, like, this raw power tape, you know, I don't yeah. have to risk money on it. So that was pretty cool. But that was like, again, like getting access to a lot of rev stuff. It was mainly cassette too. But yeah, I love that together comps. Awesome. It's such a like vibrant representation of that scene. And I like how, um, like the layouts all over the place. Like it feels super personal. Like it feels like very democratic, like as if, it was like, okay, everyone gets a page and, you know, well, what happens when you're the page with the guy who doesn't know how to draw too well? Okay. Yeah. That one's going to look a little janky and that's, <laughs> that's what makes it charming, you know? And, Agreed. And so, I'm, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, we won't, we won't do hot tracks for all of them, but for the comps, I figure we have to, do you have a hot, a hot track on a together comp? It, the whole thing's so awesome. Right. Like, but I think, the one like that comes to mind, I'm just going to go with like my first impulse, like I'm ordering at a restaurant. I'm going to go to the old favorite, like searching for the light. Right. It's like, it's the illest. That was like, mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause coming from like, I grew up in like a classic rocker environment. Um, and I was like, Whoa, this is like, like, this is like punky in the way that, the who's punky but then it also has this interesting swagger that's very new york you yeah. know so it's kind of like i that track just for how different it was stood out to me and and I, also because it was the first super touch song i had heard you know yeah. so i'd heard the other yeah. bands in some format before that it's funny you mentioned the who because you know john biv when he was on for the lp super touch lp was talking about you know he's hugely influenced by pete townsend and you know would do all that stuff so i never put it two and two together really and then he said that and i'm like oh yeah i hear it so yeah Good i mean you hear, you hear that track you could see homie like windmilling you know it's right. got that it's like very loose it's not chunky so yeah well, that's next on that one uh next we got the sick of it all 
Self-titled seven inch. I don't think you could make, like if you were to, I don't know, like if a bot, you know how they have those bots that do like, here's, we, we did like an AI Nirvana song, like that dude who makes all those <laughs> videos. Like if you were going to make like a bot of New York hardcore in the best way of like a computer representation, it's that entire record. Yes. It's like, it's like really funny. Cause like the songs are like, it's almost like, what are they going to write at after that? Like the songs are called topics. So like you, you got to write another one called politics too, or something. It's like, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's so like, um, it's so direct, right? We're yeah. these dudes, we're in an alley, cool BJ Pappas, fisheye photo. The, the typeface looks menacing. It's confrontational. And then the record just delivers this like perfect, um, like little story that feels like so specific to New York. Um, and just so digestible. Like you just hear that thing. The songs are kind of like, are all little earworms. I have this theory that any band from Queens has some subtle melody, even if they're not melodic. And if like, that's the through line for some reason, and uh, especially like anything coming out of Astoria, like it's so, so close in proximity to Manhattan, but those bands sounded so different. Maybe it's just cause you know, the, the, the root of the family, you know, the trunk of the tree is kraut, but okay. even sick of it all had just, like I think a melodic sensibility in, in the formatting. And that's what always stood out to me about that record. Yeah. Who would have thought too, probably then that like, you know, this band's going to be around for 35 years. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you, when you, yeah. people got that seven inch, like who would be like, if someone told you back then, like, yeah, this band's still going to be playing shows in 2021. That being that, said, if I was going to put my money on it, even as a young head, their level of professionalism, like even seeing them with AF, like early on, I think AF, I was just more in awe of them because they just, mm -hmm. like it, it looked crazy to be seeing them and the shows were, you know, drew people that were like pretty unsavory and like just kind of like that old, like it was almost like a, like a rally for like bad people, you know, not, their, not AF's fault, but it was like, oh yeah, we have something to do. And yeah. that would like kind of mesh weirdly with people who just like hardcore shows. But AF, you're watching a spectacle and then sick of it all is like this professionalism, even early on when I saw them, that I was like, I would bet on that band, not 30 years, never, but like who's going to be the Procore band? Like they invented almost like the Procore blueprint in the Agreed. best way, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. it was like they were the thing that always stood out to me for early shows is like two things. It's either your friends doing something impressive or presentation. And a lot of the rev bands did it. Like you see one note into shelter, one note into burn, one note into super touch. Like there's a perform performance aspect that a lot of like, I think a lot of hardcore bands miss, especially when it's like those bands where, they had to grab some dude from guitar center who smoked cigarettes to play bass, you know? And it's like, it doesn't gel on stage. Whereas yeah. Or like even like the first youth of today lineup where it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, those dudes are smoking cigars, you know? And then we had to get rid of them because we were a straight edge band. Yeah. And then you forward to like when they're more cohesive and yeah. how powerful that is. So 
Anyways, I'll I'll cut it. I'm not rapid firing the rapid fire. I'm, I'm, long, <laughs> long, I'm long firing the shit out of it. Next, Rev Four. What is it? Gorilla Biscuits. GB. Hey, so, I just wanted to give a quick bit up bow to the Instagram user bit up bow. It's uh, un- underscore underscore bit up bow underscore, and it's literally just almost completely gorilla biscuits records like there's a lot of there's like some other rev stuff on there there's judge and slipknot but the the cataloging especially of like the different yellow vinyls or as i like heard when i was a kid like how you were talking about you know you hear some stuff or or urban legends it's like oh well do you have the gb7 inch on banana vinyl yeah yeah that Um, was the big one so there's i mean he's got like 10 copies of it on yellow vinyl and shows all the different colors. And so uh, it's, it's really cool that we live in this age. Like imagine if radio silence were to start in 2020 or 2021, and it would just be all Instagram, the amount of stuff that you could post like all the time. So now we're seeing like book form, but in, in a uh, kind of drawn out version. And I think yeah, the the amount of things that I've seen, just since Instagram is is daunting. Yeah. It's always funny. The coolest is when you amble upon some uh, older person's account who they're not even doing it performatively and they're not hashtagging stuff. Yeah. It's just like, whoa, this rando ass person, it's like a photo of their barbecue, like a IPA held to the sky and then like 20 shots of some weird flyers you never saw. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that shit's so interesting. Or like somebody like from like, just a dude from like an old band. Like I've seen like a lot of the DC guys, like you'll just randomly be like, Oh, you know, uh, like Mark Haggerty from, mm-hmm. from gray matter. He's got an Instagram and he posts all these fucking rad flyers and old pictures. And, but you know, it's not like he has 10,000 followers. He's got right. you know, whatever, a couple hundred. It's kind of like sick. It's like gym. the new, it's like the new um, armchair quarterback, like retelling your story. Because you see it in your <laughs> algorithm. It's like some dude you followed or person you followed two years ago and they never post. And all of a sudden one day they're like OD posting because they found like that box in the garage. And you're like, fuck, my whole feed is like homie from fit of anger. What is, you know, like <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love OD posting. That's awesome. <laughs> when Hob mentioned the, the bit of bow with the 10 cop, I thought you were going to announce a giveaway. He's doing a giveaway. <laughs> yeah. Right. No pressure. No, no pressure. pressure. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. The gorilla biscuits, seven inch. Yeah. So uh, that one, that was on my wish list of like, uh, oh, I need that seven inch, you know, and local record store. It was out of print. And I was like, oh, I'd probably find it at Newberry Comics. And the, I went to a local record store. I lived in New Hampshire at the time. And they carried some Rev stuff. And I asked the dude working there who was like a punker dude who didn't, he was like ahistorical. Like no one knew him, but he worked at the store in our town. He wasn't from our town. It's like some mystery. He might have been like a cop or something, to be honest, or a narc. But uh, <laughs> he was like, oh, no, we're getting a grill biscuit seven we're getting a new grill biscuit seven inch but not the old one it was like 91 or something he showed me like the coming soon or whatever i'm like all right that quelled my you know it's like it's coming next month but what it was and then we saw it like came with a press release of like gorilla biscuits breaking up and like where they're all going like he had the little one sheet with it and it was just 
a re-release of the seven inch. Um, I don't even think on vinyl. I think it just came in the cardboard sleeve. It might've been that pressing with the different font, but it came, he was like, Oh, get the CD. Cause it has more shit on it. And the CD had like demos and whatnot. So that mm-hmm. was pretty awesome. Uh, it was cool to like see them reverse progress because of like the sequencing on it. But from the, that was a record that um, you have in your head of like what you want it to be. You know, I'd heard the comp tracks too. So it wasn't just comparing it to start today, but getting that record and be like, Oh, I finally can hear all these tunes. And it was like, like out the gate, just like ripper of what you wanted. Yeah. You know? And you did an article with Billy from side by side on the hundreds yeah. about the artwork for the seven inch also. Yeah. Wait, that was like kind of one of those. It's funny. Like I'm doing this book and asking people who did the art or whatever. And no one back then put me in touch with Billy bitter. And then it's not until later where like GB has this whole like merch legacy and they're, then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Billy Bitter's on Instagram. Just hit him up. And, uh, you know, hundreds wanted to do that capsule with him. So that was cool. I mean, he would, he was just an interesting person to talk to because he's so like in the shadows or like not a known person. He was older than everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's what Jules, uh, I had a phone conversation a couple mm-hmm. months ago with Jules trying to maybe, you know, do a, a revisited side by side, uh, and Jules was like, yeah, I'll do it if, if Billy comes on. So fingers crossed I'm working oh, on, on doing that. But he mentioned, too, that Billy was, you know, 10 years older than some of those guys. Yeah. And, like, came from the D.C. Uh, punk scene. And, you know, he saw Teen Idols and he saw SOA and all that. So it would be just cool to get his perspective of being kind of older mm-hmm. in that scene but yeah the, the gorilla biscuit seven inch i mean we could we could do a whole episode about it oh yeah i think yeah. we did but it's yeah. just iconic you know the artwork and the music and the lyrics and everything um, that's that's one where like having those records and finding those records in high school was so important to me because you would like almost like they become such a part of your identity where, where like i would walk around school and everyone would have like Guns N' Roses or like White Snake. Remember the White Snake shirt with the fucking medallion in the middle? Like yeah. That was a real hot one to run. People like, you know, if you like, <laughs> like a lot of hairspray and like white. Not by the time I was in high school, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm an old, older head. And uh, <laughs> I would walk around and like look at, you know, what people were into and then go home and be like almost laughing, like holding this seven inch with like a, a gorilla and a champion. And like, but it was so representational of what I dug. I'm like, it's part like comic book geek. It's part satire. It's part cool. Like it was like, it was almost looked like a skate graphic. Like all the, it's like a mind, it's a mind melt of everything I'm into and I'm holding it. And it was so representational of what I thought was cool rather than like, I don't know, like skulls and like, yeah. I don't know, like fantasy shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You feel <laughs> like everybody's stupid except me. I grew up near the beach basically. And like, I'm, I'm, I didn't grow up on the gritty streets of New York. So to see something that was kind of like soft and like <laughs> fun, like, uh, you know, I watched Volcom stone 
be born. And I watched all these like skate companies be born. And I didn't, it wasn't like I was dodging some fucking dude on angel dust coming up the street. It's like the gorilla biscuits, seven inch visually and aesthetically and even musically appealed more to me than the war zone seven inch or even mm-hmm. the uh, comp seven inch. So yes, it, it is more like palatable. And I, you know, I, I it, it's, it's for young people. It's for teenagers. I think this, this product, like it's so easily uh, accessible for young people to get into that record. And it's, it's starter pack. That's a, that's a good point. I think that's, that's why their legacy has endured. I think maybe more than some of the other bands that get back together um, that like we will go see. Cause you know, but you don't, ne- you don't necessarily see, super young kids caring but when you see gorilla biscuits you'll, all ages literally all ages you'll see fr- that run the run yeah. the gamut 14 think, to 64 like everybody yeah. <laughs> is singing and, but i think i think you hit the name like it's it's because it was for young people so young people are still hearing it for the first time and it resonates and then for us we just heard it when we were young and still love it yeah i think it it's like you think of the um the entry to that record, like I heard sick of it all. And I didn't think I was tough. It was like a spectator sport. (laughs) You know, I'm watching these people. It's almost like watching the news, right? Like they're giving me the news from Queens and this is their slice of life. And then the GB seven inch and start today. It's people that like, aren't that dissimilar to you or you think at least. And then they're, they're not telling you to go be tough, but they're telling you to hold your ground. Mm-hmm. They're telling you to like be, you know, be self-assured. And so that's more infinitely more um infinitely more repeatable in your daily life. You know, like if I went to school trying to dress like, you know, the rich from fucking <laughs> like Anthony Communale or something, like just all of a sudden I'm like a tough working boot mosher dude. I'm gonna get my ass kicked. But if I'm just myself. And, you know, thinking about like these little hardcore lessons, these little vignettes in my little skater world, I feel okay. And if someone picks on me, I'm not, I'm not tripping, you know, but I'm not a tough guy. And like, that's kind of like the context of GB that makes it, I think, work because it's, it's like people that look like the audience and not like rallying you on some gnarly level. You know, mm. which is yeah, like they just why... seemed like dudes you'd be friends with. Like that that was what I always thought. Like they just seemed like the guy the kids that I came up in punk and hardcore with. Like they that's what the guys in Gorilla Biscuits were. Like the pick the inside pictures and the records, they were like goofy and having fun. And yeah, they're not gonna beat me up. They're gonna be yeah, like, no. Hey kid, wanna come hang out with us? We yeah, got some, they'll, we they'll got some pumpkin skateboards. Slice. Yeah, they'll <laughs> offer you a slice, man. Yeah. They'll definitely offer you a slice. <laughs> <laughs> even yot like after hearing the can't close my eyes they're offering you a slice dude yeah, <laughs> yeah <fucking> no. terrifying <laughs> so rev five speaking of side by side earlier you're only young once rapid fire that record i wanted it just by looking at it i was like and i had it in my head like you're only young once like just the whole presentation that was one that i mentally built up and i was able to find it pretty early on and i recorded it i was so psyched on it and i had one of the, I had this old uh turntable 
and I didn't realize like the nuance of the tracking on it or whatever. So I was all stoked, like best record ever play it to my friend and who on a cassette, like I picked him up or something, or I don't remember. I remember how it couldn't have been in the car. Cause I got it before I was 16. Anyways, I put it on a cassette, played it for my friend. And he was like, dude, you recorded it too fast. And I was like, oh, fuck. Cause I already fell in love with it at this higher, slightly higher than 33, but not. It was 45. just your version of the Rock for Light remix. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I had like a <laughs> DIY Rock for Light mix. So I had to actually get used to like after a week to listening to it at the right speed, but I love it. Yo, what do you think of the Lost and Found version? We talked about that a lot on this podcast. Oh, with like the primary colors? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I bought it. I bought like, I gave so much money to Lost and Found because it was so important <laughs> to have that shit on CD and like all yeah. the... Yeah, all the bonus stuff that always sounded so fucking bootleg. Yeah, it was like recorded in a boombox in the in the the outside the venue while they're playing. See, I had always wondered because I like when I was living with Lacroix, we we always talked about this. Like, what if we just recorded the shittiest thing, especially at that time where it was like fact checking was harder, and just said like, oh yeah, this is the this is the DYS demo between. LPs and we'll sell to you for five grand. Like who would know, you know, yeah. like I'm surprised no one tried to run that or something like, you know, who knows, maybe some of the stuff that we listen to that we think is that is actually, yeah. Maybe that the, weird the best kept secret unity seven inch. Like that could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> I own well, it. I don't speaking of West coast, no up next, an no for an answer. You laugh. you laugh. I love how orchestrated the cover is. Like there's so much care and how like like the detailing of that um yeah. i love that record i love no Answer. i like the lp more but same that's what's yeah, up that was another one i got it in kenmore square it was like one of those one of those days like there would always be because boston's such a college town that there used to be so many record stores and dudes would you know people not dudes would sell off their records whenever when they're in college when they're broke doesn't mean that anything or whatever and because you have so many people from new england specifically like the record hub at the time connecticut going to school you would always just notice like you're flipping through like the new arrivals like the the rhythm hits you're like oh shit murphy's law oh shit okay there's good let me go over to the singles fuck the lps i gotta run to the singles and that was one of those days where i was like boom no for an answer boom side by side like i remember like hitting a couple things in a row and getting all stoked and um yeah i liked i just liked it that's such a west coast record because it's sort of like what you said hav that i grew up in cities in massachusetts and then the suburbs of new hampshire and i went to new york and boston a lot as a kid so i saw some of that and what was like super foreign to me was uniform choice or west coast hardcore or your early la like that seemed like how did these things happen and especially the early artsier stuff and so you see i mean uh no for an answer it was cool that they had they had like a hardness that they didn't sound as like they didn't have any like surf moshes you know Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) yeah those like scissor beats really add to uh because i think that the cover of this record to me looks like an early discord record, right? Totally. The, the black and white with the photo, but then you put it on and you're like, Oh, this is not, it doesn't 
sound like what you think it looks like initially. Mm -hmm. It's a, it, it is a bit harder, but then you pick up the 12 inch and you're like, Oh, this is softer. And you could see where he starts to go with four one one and some of his other stuff too. It's like this seven inch really is kind of like almost a blip in the, the Dan O'Mahony story. It's like a real raw, like proto Mahoney. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think all those what's what's interesting about almost all these bands is they all like we all know the trope of like we didn't know how to play, so we just got together and the drummer just got his drums. And that spazzy sound is what's actually really charming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you yeah. can't even recreate the what's the drum beat? It's just hitting shit fast for a lot of it. And that's not just that's not a diss, it's like really like how spazzy. And then you everyone starts to gel or you get new people and then it starts to become like the pro version and it's tighter you know like all these bands they get tighter as they go along and the and the recordings are shifting to ADAT so they're a little more sterile but mm -hmm. but for no for an answer I think the tighter version the LP version is way sicker yeah I agree um and seeing this layout uh in person was maybe one of my favorites uh, at Rev and like seeing the Sharpie marks on the paper and how everything was laid out. I thought that, that this was really cool. And finding out that Dan, Dan O did the layout. Yeah. Wasn't that right? We, yeah. we got like, we thought Gavin did it. Yeah. We thought Gavin did it. And of course Dan had to reach out and tell us, no, actually I did it. He gave us <laughs> no for an answer. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so up next is a record Let the that man speak i got a lot of shit for um for my maybe the first real hot take that uh the the general hot take that i put out there where i said that i didn't really care for some of the songs on this record uh one in particular i said i didn't really care for sick people and it's become like a real fucking like albatross, you know, it's become like a, a thing for me to say, but I still, you know, I haven't listened to this record since we did the episode. It's just kind of not in my regular quiver of records that I'm listening to. Uh, and I appreciate it and I love it. And especially talking to Dave bet about this record was really cool, but, uh, the way it is comp, Eh, I, I could I could do without in 2021. You're fucking high. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting that in like a time capsule. You know, if we had to like send shit to space or whatever, like Elon Musk, get on that with all your stupid ideas. Let's let's put this in the space and see what comes back. I mean Yeah, I love I love like I said, like that was a a I got that on cassette and it was just you know, top to bottom, I was obsessed with that record. And yeah, I don't know. Again, like it was cool getting like the booklet size was awesome. And then mm. wait a minute, that wasn't shot in New York. Like, you know, the, the levels. And then it's kind of like we had a who's who on the cover for Radio Silence. And then we and originally with Radio Silence, there was a lot more like dissection and commentary of the stuff. Like we had like a uh, silhouetted everyone and then had them labeled and then it well, it seemed cool but then it just seemed too jokey and we felt like we weren't honoring the subject matter enough and we needed to zoom back and not 
do shit like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but the fact that that exists on the Harsh Forms website, <laughs> if you really, really want to nerd out about that, like, that shit is cool to me. Because, like you said, that's the stuff that you would analyze. And I don't fucking know these people in real life. Still, I don't know these people. But I know who they are because right. of where they were in this photo on this record or whatever. It's one of the best live photos I've ever seen Absolutely. still to this day. Yeah. I mean, and like Gus, like I, I said before, like just the fact like his, the way his arm is and you can perfectly read this, the project X sleeve print. Like you yeah. couldn't, right. right. You couldn't even orchestrate that better than, than it came out. What, uh, um, what was always cool to me about this comp in the photo is that the branding of New York city hardcore, I bought into it because like you look at the photo and there's everyone from all the bands is moshing or on stage and coming from Boston, there is all these divisions like in learning the, you know, whatever I could call from everyone older than me talking about like the Boston crew and, and like the divisions in Boston hardcore and like how the freeze weren't accepted because they're from the Cape and, the proletariat were over on the left and and looking at like the the few um live photos that were on like all those early boston records they would have like one photo right mm -hmm. and uh so i was i was like whoa their scene's really united <laughs> you know, like they're huge, would, and there's so many people yeah. at every single yeah. show. It's got to be yeah. this fucking mecca where these, you know, there there's hundreds of people at every single show, and everybody's going off, and everybody knows each other, and everybody's singing every word. Mm -hmm. That's what you think. But of course, happening. like you look at that picture, and how could you not think that? Right. Like you have like right you know, youth of today guys singing along. Uh, Matt Zone. Yeah, um, like just everybody's there. Like possibly Allison Birkenhead, but we're not sure. What in the in the shop? <laughs> yeah, on the Harsh Forms uh, website, it there's a the girl standing in the background, and it says that it might be Allison Birkenhead or Richie, it might be someone else. Tell yeah, us. we need some Richie. Sister? Hey, Richie is the Richie is the uh, confirmer, as we have learned recently, right? Richie yes. confirmed. <laughs> that Porcel was the first hardcore kid to wear cut-off camo shorts. Uh, yeah, he did. Confirmed. We signed it, sealed it, delivered it. Yep. Um, real quick, hot track on this comp. I'll go with just a tie for the two Youth of Today tracks just because those are like my favorite recordings. Um, like the favorite sounding recordings and those two tracks are just, you know, they just, here you go, here you go. Like, so awesome. And, and so... Um, emblematic of the compliment compilation itself you know yeah so and also like, we're together and then you better understand some shit too so we're not that <laughs> together it's pretty and awesome what i appreciate about those youth of today songs and to a degree the gorilla biscuit song is for a long time like that was the only way to get those songs if you're mm -hmm. the completest who has to make the cassette you know of every single song you have to own or borrow that from someone to put those songs on and i think that that is so sick and speaking of youth of today break down the walls uh reissue. that's uh the reissue. first reissue right um, on 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 uh yeah yeah, yeah. and it's it, crazy that it's rev 08 008 but it came out you know yeah anyway break down the walls Thoughts I on got that? that. I got that record, and 
I loved Youth of Today. I had the Caroline version of the uh, Can't Close My Eyes, like the 12-inch. Had We're Not In This Alone. And then I got Break Down the Walls. I wasn't going in chronological order. I'm just like cobbling what I can get. And I wasn't that stoked on that record. I liked it, but I wasn't like, it didn't kick in the gear like the other stuff. And then this older guy, um, like four years older, that's like crazy old when you're young. Yeah. He's like, well, that's not the right recording. What? Huh? <laughs> like, no. And he's like, oh, no, they added these backups and it sounds terrible. And, you know, you need your, your older curator, like your, your, uh, you're like your surrogate, big brother, big sister figure to like steer you around. You know, they would, they would make you navigate away from like a ill-advised purchase, you know, like don't buy the grudge seven inch. That's garbage. You know, like those kind of things, <laughs> you know, Gar- like garbage, straight up garbage. <laughs> so yeah, he gave me, he copied like the actual, the wishing well recording. And then I was like, Oh, I mean, it's so it's almost like a, like a neutered version of the record, you know, mm. and that's not being lame to people who that's their introduction to the band. Cause it was my introduction to the band, but it was kind of like processed or something, right? Like I want organic youth of today. I want the San Marzano tomatoes flown in from Italy, that <laughs> fucking version of the Neapolitan pie. And when I got, I almost got like, yeah, like the Costco Youth of Today on that record. So I like that was, that was my introduction to the full. I mean, the seven inch, the Disengage was the first one I heard, but um, I didn't know for years that it was a reissue remix. Like mm-hmm. probably for you know five years or something, didn't know that there was this Wishing Well version of it. Um, and yeah, I hate to be that guy, but to me, that Wishing Well mix is the superior break down the walls yeah i don't even think that's a hot take i mean that just has to be yeah it's not i don't think it is either but like i I, sometimes you hate to be like the (laughs) demo was better but in this case like it just to me it just it sound it sounds perfect and didn't need to have like the extra stuff added at the same time it's cool to me they added the extra stuff because it makes the original different you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's yeah, almost yeah. like now you got to, like, you know. Got to catch the first, them all. Yeah. Like, the first <laughs> way I heard the original mix was, you know, someone had a vinyl rip on MP3. Yeah. Um, but because before that, I'd never heard it. I think the uh, maybe my favorite, and it's hard to say best in this case, but my favorite, maybe hardcore recording of all time is the cassette first mix of we're not in this alone uh the caroline mix right uh to me i think that is like the fucking gold standard of hardcore records i just wanted to throw that out there (laughs) we're we're talking about like we're talking about like because hey we're talking about youth of today like re remix and repackage anyway uh Let's speak out about Bold real quick. Um, so that one, wow. That record, a lot of people used to joke and say it was like, um, what's, it, what's it called? Like misleading advertising. Like because a record, a cover 
it's so like it's symmetrical it's perfect it looks almost like a blue note jazz record or something and then the recording sound like it didn't sound like that like you almost expected like the super powerful like normandy sound like pummeling like you expected bold right and instead it's this really boomy i don't even know how to describe that recording but it's almost like like it sounds very cavernous and not murky. I say it's murky. Yeah, it 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 just didn't sound like what you expected, especially like and people who were like had seen Bold a million times before that were like, "Whoa, huh?" You know. Now that being said, I love that record. I I think it sounds perfect. I don't want them to ever remix it or touch it. It's kind of perfect in its imperfection, um, and it sounds like. You could tell, maybe misguided, but they were going for that early Boston kind of sound. And agreed. I like that they're sort of like, almost like break beats to the moshes. Like people, the the knock on bold is always like they were a shirt band or they were like youth of today's little brother. But I think sonically, if you go in, fuck, I was trying to not, I was trying to do a podcast without using the word sonically. Now I have, now I have to take a shot. I was like, damn it oh well i got pretty far in without saying it yeah but yeah i think like that record um it has a lot of space it sounds kind of weird and for all the knocks people could take on bold if they're naysayers it's not a generic record at all it's a very strange mix of you know what would be called like youth crew hardcore but then also like these harder beats and like there's some interesting picking in some of the songs like accept the blame there's like it's not it's not cookie cutter in any way and i i really like how the the fast parts like maybe you'll notice this if you listen to them now they totally swing they're not these like really um assertive kind of like either scissor beats or you today has these like rhythmic almost like uh show tune fast beats you know it's like call and response or whatever yeah these things are like they're swinging and they kind of breathe and and it's really cool like there's a lot of space and i think they're perfectly constructed hardcore songs and i think it's a perfect it's a perfect lp because it doesn't it has character and anything that you put on and you have to make a judgment about it especially a straight edge hardcore record like if you're in a straight edge hardcore you're already in when you buy it you're not like do you know what i mean like you're already part of the brand you know what you're getting so then to put this thing on and be like, huh, what is this warped? Like, huh, do I have it like EQ'd weird? And then you have to make a judgment. I think that's pretty sick. So yeah, huge fan. Love, we love, we love bold Jason. We got Jason to really like, he would, he liked that LP, but then in the, in the researching for the episode and stuff, I think he kind of, it, it really clicked. Why does that happen? We're just listening to the record and I think in a different context and then hearing them real, you know, they know that it's not a good recording, I think made me appreciate the record more. Well, hearing Anthony describe it, like if I wasn't, if I was on the fence about it, I would be like, all right, I'm going to pause this episode. I'm going to listen to the record. I think that happens a lot with our listeners. I mean, little Chris texted me two days ago and was like, hey, I've never heard Statue before. I'm going to put this on. And then he texted me like a half hour later. He's like, wow, those songs are really fucking good, man. Or like Clint from organized crime was like, Hey, I haven't listened to statue in 25 years. 
your episode made me put it back on and I like that record, you know, it's pretty yeah. cool. So I think hearing a us talk about it, good or bad, um, be hearing the people who created these records talk about it. It does make you go back and analyze them in a different way. And uh, I got that also with the, you don't know, Mojack podcast, you know, mm -hmm. and, and um, really like sitting down and listening, not hearing, but listening to these records. And I think that that's the bold record. It's funny because it's so polarizing and there's so many like haters and people are like, bold sucks. And then it's like, ah, bold doesn't suck. Maybe you don't like the recording, but they're gonna say you suck. The fucking bold doesn't oh, suck. Bold you sucks. suck. You suck. <laughs> but but the songs are there, and and the band is incredible. So it it is one of the great injustices of hardcore that that record has such a crappy recording. And they Rep know 10. it. They Rep know 10. it. Yeah. What's ten? What's ten? Uh, true till true death. Till death. Yeah, that's like another one where uh, you see the ad, you know, like in a magazine or zine or whatever, and you're like, that has to be the best thing fucking ever, right? <laughs> like, how can this not be the best thing ever? And I never cared about the chatter. You know, they yeah. were, they were like a folklore band, right? Like, they're yeah. a boy band. They were put together, like, da-da-da-da. Like, like, who didn't – like, like, plenty of bands – put together a show and took photos. That's like the most ridiculous. Yeah. I don't even care about that. I'm like, I want to listen to the thing and I, I get it. And I got that record pretty early on and was like, what the fuck? Like it, like someone joked that it's like the loveless of, of hardcore, you know, cause the vocals are mixed so low. But it's kind of cool because it is purposely like how they're saying they mixed it democratically. Like, why should the vocals be louder or whatever? It's like, right. like everyone taking up their space. But I mean, I don't think I've written about this seven inch kind of in jest. And like, I've done like interviews with like really long interviews with Bratton about it. I just think it's not just a perfect hardcore record. It's perfect for the format. Like you get every panel of the layout is giving you some Intel. Um, it looks great perfect amount of songs the songs are like super digestible and they're another one where it's like oh chain or generic it's like there's nothing actually that generic about what they did at all and and when i call out like naysayers i'm just talking about the the vocal minority right because no one i don't think there's any consensus that that's a bad record people love that record but the criticisms you know it's like the same criticism for anything of that era but i love the i thought the lyrics are super cool. They're, they're, they're about as like uh, high concept as you need for a straight edge hardcore band. Like, oh, he's using different words. That's cool. And it doesn't rhyme. You, you know, it's like super perfect. And um, it's almost like what record when you're first immersing yourself in something, if you're in that lane, you know, like if you're like a metal mosh dude, well, then obviously fucking who cares, you know? But if you, if you like this style of hardcore and you hear that, it's like, I don't know. It's like, the, it's the most perfect representation. It's almost like just wired into your brain of like, like, what do I want out of a hardcore band? And then 
like that part in Weird Science where they try to make the girl. <laughs> yeah, like, the, like, like if I was doing that at that same age of like, I had like a blank, like my mom's like Buddy Holly 45 and I was trying to like Frankenstein it, this would come out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing is too, now Rev 10, it's the true till death seven inch, but it's also, also that discography, which full disclosure, that was my introduction. I, I mm-hmm. again, didn't know that there were different, I didn't know this was remixed. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I loved it, but now hearing the original mixes, I can barely like, I'll listen to it cause it's the only thing on Spotify, but yeah. Like, what did you think about that, the one thing that still holds true discography? I mean, I was, any of that stuff, getting the the treatment back then, I was so excited. Like, when the Youth of Today ones came out with those, that cover where it looked like, uh, like, Brendan Fraser and the Mummy, like, all the sand and shit, like, with the, <laughs> <laughs> like, what, I don't, that was kind of not too great looking, but it didn't matter, like, having, having things on compact disc for some reason with more material was always so exciting mm-hmm. and yeah. to have like the chain discography and I bought it on all three formats when it came out. So I'm like, I want it in the car. I want it hot on my hi-fi yeah. and I want the vinyl. And to be honest, I'm not super picky. Like if I wanted to hear the original mix, I'll put on the seven inch. If I'm on a drive and I want to hear their discography at that time i'll ru- i'll just run with the tape right i'm cool yeah uh, the- an impact i think was worth it al- alone like yeah, i think totally hav says no and he said no but i mean <laughs> i don't like that consider song. the source um it's a, that it's, song, a, it's not a, a good, it's not a good way to open up that record in my opinion it's that's anthony a, what do you think insane well, Wait, jason what are you it, thinking you love it right I yeah i love it, it. I knew it as an intro, you know, because I'm like a nerd. So I had live sets and I had versions of them using that as an intro. Sure. So it was kind of like, a, it's almost like what's it on quickness where the itro or whatever, like the intro for Igans to Igans. Voyage to Infinity. Yeah, yeah. Because it was kind of the same thing to me. I'm like, that's cool. I'm like, I'm like, whoa, because I knew, I knew they had touched stuff up. I'm like, whoa, homie still got pipes, you know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Jason, me and Jason, we've we've taken a side quest. This is Greg's theory. This is Greg's theory that the one they went to I really, it. I, I think that he redid a lot of the vocals. Yeah, I do too. Um, yeah, for I sure. think that he was already doing the, <laughs> yeah, like, like, I think he was already doing the uh, um, Circle Storm because that was around the same time the, the that EP. Uh, and then I think he did the vocals for impact, but he also went and did touched up a lot of stuff on the, I think yeah, so. they added yeah. backups and stuff too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't I, like I just didn't backups. understand. Yeah. yeah. I didn't understand why they added, well, the backups, whatever, but taking away the drum fill yeah. and then switching the order, but only by one track or no, I think, I think the what holds us apart. They flipped a couple tracks, and then the true till death. They opened that part with true till death instead of just how much. Like it made zero sense to me yeah. retroactively. Like well, you I gotta, you know. gotta think like so back then. 
when a lot of stuff was getting reissued in the mid nineties, say like that, like reissues are a relatively new thing in general. Like now everything is like, it comes out, it goes out of print then it's reissued. Like there weren't, there wasn't like this cottage industry, like things were either in print or they weren't. And like Rollins was kind of the first people I think with that infinite zero label that was reissuing valuable stuff out of print and like doing it nicely that I recall, like there, it wasn't like a, when I got into hardcore, someone's like, Oh, did you get the RKL reissue? You know, it was just yeah. back in print or something. So I think if you, if you think about like you made a record when you're 18 and then when you're like 24 or something, a diff, completely different person. And you've had all this time to think about how that record isn't perfect because you didn't, the world wasn't this place where the feedback was so huge and there's chain strength tribute sites and 27 Instagram accounts. Like you're still in that time where you thought I'm just using chain as a, as an example, that something you did wasn't as good as it could be. And then someone's like, we want to do it. And do you have any unreleased stuff so that people will buy it again? And then all of a sudden you're like, you're a fucking, homie that you play softball with is really good at Photoshop and he's going to do the cover and it starts to go awry. It starts to get away, you know, and then they're like, Oh, it was recorded on these shitty tapes. We got to transfer them to like this other technology. And then that no one was looking at it curatorially. I don't think it was just about putting the thing out. And then you also have to remember, which is super interesting is how um, these other than your core audience, how things would uh, be sold is, you know, through your catalog to your distributors. And so you would see a lot of older releases and re-releases try to look new, like, like they had just been designed because to a distributor, it's like, why do I want to re-release this thing that I still have in the back of the fucking warehouse? You know what I mean? Like why? Yeah. I never, I never, thought of that because that's what they did even with the the youth of today when they did them in 97 and of course i bought them on cd yeah. immediately because like we're not in this alone i only had a bootleg of or whatever and they tried to make it look like it looks very 1997 this totally paint font and all that and that makes sense because then they can repackage it and when you go through you know when the record clerks going through he goes oh wow these look new and fresh let me order these for the punkers you know, but I honestly never even thought of that being an aspect of where they were coming from at that time. Yeah, or or just kind of like everyone who's recorded something, if if you could go back and fix it, you would, your tendency as a creator is to do that. You know, like oh, this like the rattle of the snare. I always wanted to get rid of that, and like that's exactly what you shouldn't do. But you know now years later, like a different uh, evolution of this stuff. Of course, everyone in these bands wants to restore everything the way it was because they realize that's like these, the imperfections are what makes them have character and yes. fun and makes them charming. Yeah, and, I think you know. in, I, I would rather people do both. Like, hey, if you want to do it, have an original mix and then have, you know, like when the replacements they did, a yeah. remix of the don't tell a soul album. It didn't, they didn't not have the album. They just said here, here's an alternate 
mix you can listen to or yeah or like whatever. the smiths yeah. you know it'll yeah. say in the parentheses if you're if you're on your ipod like me and it'll be like u.s mix or peel session or whatever okay. like it'd be nice to be able to differentiate those two like for yeah. the fucking nerd idiots like us yeah because like, it is jarring nerdy yeah. yeah so up I, next i bet it was fun as shit to do the true till death backups at the beginning, I bet they said, you know what would be cool? Let everybody come in. We're all going to say true, tell death, and throw it at the beginning. I hate the way that it sounds, though. Yeah. I, it's, um, that, that whole record, when I when I got the 12-inch, it was so jarring to me to hear the difference between the 7-inches and the 12-inch. Like, I'm still upset about it, I think, today. <laughs> yeah, understandable. I like the packaging for it yeah. and the posters and all that. Yes, ev- all aesthetically, I understand and appreciate the 12-inch version, all the photos are so cool and just to have it all in one piece and people like Greg, who that's how they originally uh, absorbed it. That's great. But my, you know, for years and years and years, it was a cassette of the two seven inches direct from the record onto cassette and, uh, you know, taking them the way they were supposed to be what I thought the way they were supposed to be. And so when I heard it in a different form with a song that I considered subpar leading off the whole thing, it kind of musically ruined the whole experience for me. Uh, Um, But that's, again, that's my expectations or my own hangups. And uh, I, but I still prefer to listen to the seven inch versions. I will say the biggest travesty of that is when the stickers came out and they fucked up the X and there was like an MS paint, looking x in there that oh, thing I don't was remember a bump. That. yeah it was like Jason, all around. this is like your this is your i know it is <laughs> this I is your some, life's I, blood I have man some in my apartment i'll take a photo and send oh, you that'd be awesome yeah. to see that rules yeah and like I just i don't want to spend too much time on because i've said to jason like i talk about chain like you know for a long time we need time, another chain episode I'm no thinking, we don't absolutely not <laughs> well i know what you're thinking we don't need it <laughs> I, <laughs> Stop it. Um, I, I, what I was going to say is knowing Chris, I can't imagine how much the, the remix and stuff has to like, he's got to be bummed about it. Cause he wasn't around, you know, he said he was on tour with wool and Ryan went in and just basically did the mixes. Cause they say that the original mixes are going to come out as a reissue, but I mean, I believe them, but at the same time, that's been the word for like 15 years now. So I don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But anyway, 11. Old seven inch slash looking back. Okay. Um, My friend told me not to buy this. It, It was in the showed up in Newberry Comics. And he was like, oh, don't get that. I heard it. It sounds like the doors. Uh, Tell your friend I said, fuck you. (laughs) I was like, how can it sound like the door? Like, what? No, like, I bought it out of spite, you know? And I was like, this doesn't sound like the doors. It sounds like fucking Dawkins, dude. Like, you know, but like, not even in a bad way. I like Um, I, I, It was one of those records. It was like, it was probably the first departure record I had heard in my timeline. You know what I mean? Because like, like the TSOL records say like change today. Like I wasn't from that generation that like change today came out. And I was like, whoa. Or like for a lot of people like Prison Bound, the 
that record was a big departure for social distortion. This was like one of the first records of like, because I think I got this before the second uniform choice. So it was like, whoa, here's one thing and then here's a different version of it. And I had to be, I had to like parse that out, you know, <laughs> be like, yeah. whoa, but I didn't, I was like, this band's broken up, so it doesn't really matter, right? And these tunes rip, and yeah, he does kind of sound like Jim Morrison, but then so does Danzig, right? So I'm like, it, I'm like, this is cool. This is, I think, like the there's parts on there that are like definitely so of the time and the, you know, whether it's like the sort of Van Halen esque picking or whatever, or like those acoustic, not acoustic, but like the picked guitar intros, like, but I think it's charming that it's like people learning on record. Like we're trying to do something different. It would have been interesting to see if they had done more stuff or whatever, even though yeah, I love it. Yeah. I think it's cool that they like, they're called bold. So they made a bold change into something else and it's, it rips. Yeah. And then getting the, um, looking back because that was one that was like some white whale shit that people were like dude there's other songs they couldn't fit on the seven inch you're like what and then when they finally come out and that one song like the song looking back i think it's called like almost sounds like an alone, alone in the crowd, in the crowd. song yeah it's just like serendipity of like that cool dun, dun. yeah yeah but i thought i was yeah i got i think i want i want to say Statue, looking back, and Mike Judge and Old Smoke all came out together. Yeah. And I remember just getting them all that day and not having money for food for a couple of days. I just started college. <laughs> like, I was on, like, the, the budget of budgets, and I was like, ah, fuck it. Like, it's going to be fucking two-for-one slice tomorrow because I got to get these things. <laughs> You know, and they're all so incredibly different. So, I, I mean, it was a cool, cool thing. And then these these older guys who were like kind of out of hardcore were, this is actually a funny story. I'll try to keep it really quick. I'm the young kid. These guys are into like combustible Edison and like jazz now, but they, you know, just two years prior were in hardcore shows, but now they're artists, you know? And they're like, and they know everything. They're encyclopedic and they're like, there's a new bold record. Like what, you know, and like Mike, what, what is this shit? So they watched me play all of them and they watched me like, and I ended with the, the old smoke record and they're just like laughing, like good eight bucks, dude. Like great, great purchase there. Great purchase. Like this is insane. And I was just like, I didn't, I, I wasn't like tripping either. I was like, Oh, it sounds like a Neil Young demo. I guess, cool. yeah. you know, like I, I was like, I'll listen to it again. But yeah, but they were like, they're basically trying to tell me why me being into hardcore was fucking stupid. And in my head, I'm like, I'm so stoked to have these things to listen to for the next. Yeah. Um, yeah. You said you came from a classic rock family. I did also. And I think that's maybe why, and we won't talk too much about this because it's going to be on the next episode, but I think that's why I appreciated the Mike judge record, maybe a little bit more than, people I was hanging with, but I did, you're right. I remember seeing the looking back poster and then the Mike judge and old smoke poster in the store. And I picked up both on the same day also. Oh, really? 
I yeah, didn't hear. I don't think I heard Mike Judge an old smoke record until the past couple of years. Okay. Um, and again, I don't. I don't want to dive too deep into it, but I will say that I think looking um, looking at it retroactively makes a lot more sense, and I think makes it better than maybe what I would have thought in 1993 when it came out. But like knowing the whole story arc of Mike and Judge, I think it it makes sense. But again, we'll save that for next time. Because real, real, oh, real we're, quick, we're the, yeah, real quick, my expectation. I was I don't think I read any blurbs. I just knew it wasn't a hardcore record, and I was really into like I was like getting back into old rock and roll, and I was like listening to like old Al, like Alice Cooper, early Alice Cooper, and Grand Funk. In my head, I was like, "Oh man, I hope this is a super sick fucking biker rock." Like, I would have, yeah. I would have been all in if it sounded like early ZZ. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. And then I was like, "Oh, all right." Like, <laughs> well, Jordan, <laughs> Jordan cool. said that it was pitched to him as a blues record. Like, Porcel was like, "Yeah, man, it's a Mike's got this like blues thing," and Jordan was kind of getting into the blues. He's like, "Oh yeah," and then he hears it and he's like, "This is cool," but. Yeah, this isn't the blues just because he's not playing fast or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's clearly, awesome. but like I was, I yeah, I'll save the rest. But yeah. next Rev Twelve, it's a big, big one. one. Start today. So yeah, that was the one. All right. I'll, again, long story. I'm going to keep it. <laughs> Check this out. There used to be this dude who would come by our house all the time. He was like, like a door to door salesman. Like, it sounds like I grew up in fucking the set of Mad Men, but there really was this dude <laughs> who would come by and try to sell you like knives and encyclopedias. And he was a total, like, what's the guar manager's name? Sleazy P. Martini. Yeah. He had that vibe of like a used car salesman and he was kind of charming, <laughs> kind of comical. And he convinced my mom, I wasn't home and signed my mom up for this music service it was almost like kind of similar to that one where like you get 12 cassettes for a penny and then Columbia they house. Like, yeah. Like $900 for a fucking yeah. poison CD you didn't want or like Emerson Lake and Palmer. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of that similar. And then he was like, but you had to order, you could order like eight things a month. If you didn't, they charge you. And I just like rifled through the thing and it had like a, it might've even been called alternative. I'd be lying if I said I remembered, but there was a couple things in there. I was like, Oh, bad religion. Like I'll, that's cool. And then Gorilla Biscuits start today. And I was like, cool. And it wasn't out yet. And so whatever this tomfoolery was, the record comes out, everyone I know has it. And mine doesn't arrive for like nine more months. <laughs> this like oh, ridiculous. Damn. And when the shit showed up, it was in like seven different mailers. Like I don't know what scam this dude was running, but it like like you open it was like a Russian doll. Like you open one, and then it was like oh shit from this other warehouse. Um, but yeah, that was just a perfect like that was one of the first new records I heard that you would hear it everywhere. Like you roll up to the skate spot and someone's jamming it or someone like, it was just kind of like in the ether everywhere. And I just think it's a perfect, again, it's like that GB um, way of getting 
heavy or personal things across with a little light hardness mm-hmm. and relatability. And, you know, it's, what a nice yin to the yang of no more cats and dogs. Like that's really cool. It kind of made you like, it almost had this like mom energy or something like cool mom, like new age mom energy, you know? And <laughs> I'm, I'm, cool I'm, mom. I'm really, I really relate to like new age, not wellness mom energy. That's now that, that's yes. too, <laughs> yes. that's too conspiratorial and weird, but like, <laughs> you know, like a mom who knew how to make a veggie burger out of chickpeas. Like, wow, yes. so you have the coolest mom. <laughs> and that was like, you know, that, that, that dialogue of like, Hey man, this, these little guys, they got a personality too. And they're, they're, you know, they're equal. I always thought that was great, but yeah, I, I, I just, I think that's a perfect, it's a perfect LP. Like we could pick, you know, if we're doing some listicle of perfect, hardcore LPs that's going in there for me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you notice too? Like, I feel like at least for a while around like the, the, I hate the, the 97 revival, Mm -hmm. it was almost cool for some people to like, not like that record. Like at least from like, I never was like that. I was like, this record's amazing. Yeah. There was like that group of like, and I'm not even saying like I don't know what their individual tastes are, but I felt like Floor Punch, like those guys, seemed like I like the seven. They seemed like I like the seven inch guys. Well, you know that during that time is like parking lot talk, and you need something to talk about. So it's just people having hot takes all day, and like I felt like Floor Punch crew hot takes were like their. Um, their collective experience and like in their collective experience, rest in pieces is an awesome band. And it wasn't in mine, you know, and like, but I'm not the type of person to be like, check it out. Um, you guys, you know, whatever band that like I'm going to stand for is the thing. Uh, Music's so personal to me. Like, like if you going through my records is like going through my diary, like, fuck you don't read it. I don't want your opinion on it. You know, these are all little, stories that of like my life so yeah i might have um you know some random record that i don't even listen to that much but the sticker on the record is from some record store it's not open anymore and i remember buying it i don't need you to dissect it i don't have guilty pleasures so but that's not fun to talk about right like (laughs) a bunch of people in a parking lot like stayed up all night sweaty like you you argue about shit and come up with hot right. takes you know like inside out california sucks like inside out new york was cool yeah, like that seems like, like i love floor punch i don't want but i just remember being like i i to me i just assume that like they at least half of the guys probably don't like start today or think it's weak or whatever and i feel like i know they also at least some of them didn't like chain. Like that was the thing. Like yeah. I remember like Porter, like fuck chain fit of anger. You know, you mentioned fit of anger, yeah. but that's I, also what made floor punch. Awesome was like that mentality. But I just remember it seemed like there was a point where it was almost like, because start today is the monster that it is, that there's always going to be a few people that are like, nah, man, it's not. That I, I think that's just like how, like hardcore is it's all like predicated on like the rarest thing right like once you're in it like there's two versions of hardcore there's like this haven for people who think differently and then this like 
the Venn diagram is like uber nerds and they, they cross up, they're, they're almost, they, they touch, right? And so yeah, the yeah. touch of like a misfit who's an uber nerd is like a, almost like a final boss level evil talent, you know? And that's like how the Punisher was created, those two intersections. <laughs> and so, yeah, if, if Start Today is a record that everyone likes and whatever, then you have to form a take and then be like, well, actually, it's a ripoff of da 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 da. Like, you, that's just so inherent to hardcore, you know? Yeah. Like, like, there's some dudes, there's some people right now who are like 22 arguing about like the tsunami sold out and like their new shit's too slick. You know, like, that's just how, like, actually, they're fucking, they're just a ripoff of da 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 because that's big, you know? Yeah. Um, someone, messaged me after the episode aired and they asked if I had ever heard the theory that um, New Direction was about Dag Nasty. I thought it was about UC. I thought that was definitive. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I'd always heard it was Uniform Choice. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Okay. Well, they were all because they were all about Dag Nasty. I thought like that was like, well, granted, I mean, you know, the Dag Nasty kind of did what all those bands at the time did and put out like a real like head scratcher um but yeah i always i always had heard it was uc and then, i feel like it was from an interview but i mean that's what what's cool about hardcore is like uh you could ask them that question in 89 and then ask them in 95 and ask them now and the different the answers will all be different depending yeah, on who right. you ask and what the podcast is about and like yeah, yeah. Cause it's like our memories are so unreliable and it's, it's kind of funny, you know, like I like, I like hearing the, the different versions. <laughs> Do you know what would have been meta though would be if somebody wrote a song about new direction and like, used that's true. Those that would be lyrics. Like, if they use those lyrics and held them against, uh, <laughs> and held them against yeah. the, you know, gorilla biscuits would be, that would take wild. like the Leonard Cohen of hardcore to come up with something <laughs> like that. Did you got did you get a lot of shit for that at the time? Like after like did did anybody ever say like, dude, who the fuck are you to be saying this stuff? I mean, no. granted, you just play guitar, well, I know. Like Well, I fucking I didn't like it. I was like, that's corny. Like, no listen, I'm not trying to like uh I'm not trying to do do exactly what I said, like a retelling, but I do I do remember being like, <laughs> oh man, I don't want to have a diss track. Like that's kind of wild. And I liked I like grill biscuits and i like civ you know i didn't care but you know it was kind of the other thing too is like well this is this dude's this dude is fired up about this and if he's fired up about it because we would get in arguments like oh you're going to see fucking civ like it's so ridiculous like dude, it was it was about. a thing though i think people kind of forget yeah. that like 1995 it was like people still cared what what record label something was on you know like they'd yeah. be like man this band and you know it got to the point where it was like it was like bands were chastised for signing to like bigger indie labels what to speak of a major so like that's the way i mean i'm, I'm joking about the whole thing but to me i just thought it was a context of the times like it was a very 1995 song to have like to yeah. be like hey like we're going to kind of like you said this, you know, sort of like how chain of strength did the whole diss on seven seconds. Yeah. On a seven inch. Like it was like just 
the updated version of that, but I just always yeah. thought that was funny because I love the Civ LP. Um, but I can see how someone who was a little older than me at that time would have been like, why the fuck is Civ on MTV? That's stupid. I just didn't, for me, it was like, I, this is ridiculous to like even think about, but I was so crazy at that time. Like I was just so crazy about everything in my life had a logic to it, you know? And it was like all compartmentalized. Like this is what hardcore does. This is what I do outside of hardcore. Da, 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 da. So like, yeah, the night before I go see Civ, I might go see Elastica. That's totally and I don't care how much Elastica charges for the show. That's a different world. This is how hardcore up. It's so insane. But I just didn't want to be, I didn't want Ten Yard Fight to be known as a disc band in the yeah. way that like half off like disc Project X. Like I didn't want to be that. And I was like, right. But then I was also like, dude, that's what you want to sing. Like you have to answer for it. You're the singer. And like I get to do shit that I want to do. So that's how like a partnership in a band setting works, you know? Yeah. I, I do like the story. I think it was in Rettman's book of you wanting, you know, getting in arguments about like them wanting to print basketball jerseys or something like That's that. True. I That's true. That's like almost so why fun. we broke, why they kicked me out. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I was so fucking belligerent. Like, that's what I mean about being crazy. I was so belligerent. I'm like, this does not make sense, dude. Like we're football, football Jersey makes sense. A basketball Jersey makes no sense. Like you wouldn't do that. And yeah. they were just like, no, like, like, you don't have to wear it. I'm like, no, I want everything we make to be something I would wear. That's the point. Yeah. I'm fucking crazy. Don't you get this? Like, like I, I went, like when they were talking about like beanies, I was like almost throwing up. Like I was sick to my <laughs> stomach. I was like, just thinking of someone like, I'm like, what does it come with? Like a fucking, like a Leatherman you put on your belt too. Like it's like a roadie outfit. Like, fuck and now me. I feel like all that stuff was like, not a big deal. Like there's beanies and yeah. Did you get the dinosaur junior water bottle, Greg? No, I did. <laughs> I did not. But I did get the face. You did. I, I did get the face mask. There you yeah. go. And it's, I yeah. will say this: it's the most comfortable face mask of all the ones I've I've come across. You know, cloth or otherwise. Um, I would highly recommend it. It it it's big enough to fit my big ass head. So. <laughs> but well, yeah, hey. like. Here's just, my argument. Do, please show me a photo of the Youth of Today beanie or the Judge beanie or the fucking Uniform Choice beanie. Oh, wait, what? Huh? Huh? They didn't make one? I don't want one either. But that's yeah. how, like, linear I was. They like, did I have think. the white sweatsuits, though. Yeah, they had the bunny suit. I would have been cool with that. Nah, I wouldn't have been cool with sweats because <laughs> I don't wear sweats. But, but yeah, no, I, I, I just... Uh, I just thought of that with new direction. I've never heard the bunny suit. It, um, so fun wishing fact, well, wishing well made white. They, I guess they joked that it was like a bunny suit because it was. Like I knew exactly white what you're talking about. Hoodie and the yeah. white sweatpants. So long time ago, in uh, a very, I'm not gonna say it, in a galaxy far, far away, but I tried to do a zine when I was younger, and I interviewed none other than friend of the pod, Sammy Siegler, and I asked him about Hardcore Pride. And if oh, he had wow. heard the tenured fight song, and I think at the time he had not heard the song. And so, uh, oh, so I dry, asked him about it. dry snitched on us. <laughs> I, didn't to, I didn't mean to, for, you know, in my little world. Forgive me. In my little pre-internet world, I thought that this was, you know, 
um, something that was just common knowledge because it was common knowledge to me and my friends at the time. And so I asked them about it um, when Civ played Richmond. And so Civ plays Richmond and everyone's the whole show play new direction, play new direction. I mean, the Civ's record, it's a good record, but everyone was just yelling, play new direction. They're awesome. Cause they, they closed by playing new direction and everyone went ape shit. But before the show, I asked him about that, that song. And he said, he said, no, I've never heard that, but I mean, that sucks. If, if that's the case, you know, that sounds they like thought that about us, oh, you know, man, that's but a bummer. Yeah. But he was cool. And he's cool now. Friend of the pot. It's but, funny. Story. But, uh, it's funny. I remember there was that quote, actually, uh, wrench posted on Facebook, like this week, the one where Kappa was like, you know, I guess he got, was getting shit for better than a thousand. And he was like, I didn't start this band to make the guys in 10 yard fight like me or something like that. Um, Cause it was just like, which I never really necessarily saw as a dig against 10 yard fight. I more saw it as like, I'm not doing this to impress like the new generation. It's just sure. like, yeah. this is, I, I want to play fast, hardcore. Like that's what I like. And that's what it is. But I digress um yeah because now we're like uh right. rev 13 rev 13 the mystery <laughs> we are in the weeds slipknot. slipknot loved it um same thing my my uh hardcore curator told me that record ripped and sounded like coc to buy it uh i still have the colored vinyl copy i only mentioned that because i i've found it like not that that was like a hard record to find but i was like whoa I have to get this record and cool. It's on colored vinyl and it's two bucks like day of my life. And I, I always liked that record. And, and my only uh, contribution to, to this is the first time I went to rev, like it's like MIs flew out to California to do some, to the West coast to do some shows. And we went by rev and I was, that was the first thing that came to mind. I was like, do you have any slipknot shirts? And they were just like, no, like what? <laughs> and they're like, we have a bunch of shit over there. You can look. And like in the middle of this weird pile of like cast offs was a blue slipknot shirt. And like one arm was a little sun bleached. And I was like, can I have it? Like, it was like the, I was so excited to get this random ass slipknot. You shirt. still have it. I just gave it away recently. Oh man. I want to see a picture of Do it. Do you know who has that shirt now? It's and this you know, I know this. Yeah, uh, Dave Dave Janis. Oh, he does? Yeah, he got it from Am I wrong? I got this this is so I Yeah. This is the last time I'll bring up useless knowledge about <laughs> we're about the shirts for no, this episode at least. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. um Yeah, I think so Ancient Artifacts had put it up and I get yeah. him up and he said that he has someone that's going to buy it and it ended up being Janis, but So I should correct correction. I gave it away to someone who gave me money for it yeah and now i just ordered that new ones and they're gonna be they're on the way right now the yeah new they have the shirts. new ones which you know i think it's cool like and i i think that uh i'm gonna toot our horn and say that hopefully we we helped get people stoked on slipknot with the uh, episode 13. It's a cool record. I just needed yeah. someone to tell me, like Anthony said. Yeah, I didn't have a, somebody tell me. If there was me. an older dude that said, this is awesome, I would probably have thought this is fucking rad and not wrote it off as a it, strange it re- record. Yeah, it really, it's kind of cool. Like, like for example, I'll, t- I'll, I'll wrap this in a bow for y'all. Um, 
I had people who like steered me away from things. And one of the things is that someone was like, oh, don't buy Severin. That band sucks. I'm like, what are you talking about? The LP's got like rusty shit on it. Looks very discord. It's got to be yeah. good. It's got homie from Swizz, you know, Grey Matter. No, I think it's terrible. So I didn't even think about that band until I was listening to the statue episode. And I was like, dude, I don't think except for one comp song, I heard that band. And I'm like, this is great. And it's cool. It's like, it's like hearing a record, totally different context, like how it was framed, way different than, oh, it's just some boring DC shit that sounds like Holy Rollers, which I don't even know if that's true. You know? Yeah, like, yeah it's so. not. But yeah, <laughs> I, 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 and uh, I've been able to do that with a lot of stuff that I missed for the same reasons, because people said, you know, don't listen to this it sucks and then sometimes i'd be defiant like you were with the bold seven inch and just be like <laughs> no like i remember people being like don't listen to dag nasty field day it sucks and then i ended yeah. up lo- loving i mean there's a few missteps on it but there's a lot of awesome songs but other times i kind of just was like okay and then i waited years and then i hear it and i'm like oh fuck this rules but uh yeah. the slipknot wasn't even that some anybody said it sucked it was more just like nobody i knew talked about it and then obviously with the the other slipknot it almost made it like like even the shirts like i was like do i want one of those shirts or like am i gonna get a head nod at the co-op from like a maggot (laughs) yeah like you know what i mean and be like oh no this is a different and then have to be that guy and be like it's different slipknot but it's too bad that like streaming royalties weren't a real revenue stream. Cause I bet those dudes would be fucking paid from all the people like clicking on that by accident. Like that would be so rad, right? Like uh, you're, uh, <laughs> it's fucking... one of the, it's one of the uh, highest streams I think for rev though. Yeah. Because like, like Jordan was telling us that like, if you look at comments somewhere, it'll be like, this isn't the real Slipknot beware Amazing. whatever, which is awesome. Yeah, imagine um, that, like uh, Stymie. Wasn't there a dude named Stymie in that band or yeah. something? Like- Stymie, Chang, <laughs> and F. Yeah. Like a, <laughs> Which made it even cooler, because I'm like, who are these guys? We, in prep for the episode, we erroneously, it might have been Hob or Jason, said one of them was dead. We're like, yeah, one of yeah, them died. I heard that one of them was dead, and so we and, had to and ask. Then, right. And then, you know, so this was like one I was like, when Hav and I had the idea to do this, I was like, well, when we get to Slipknot, like, what are we going to do? Like when we right, started right. talking, because originally we weren't, we weren't even thinking really about interviews. We're just like, we'll just talk. And then, you know, it's, it just kind of unraveled to what it is now. And I remembered for Slipknot being like, well, Slipknot's out. I was like, maybe we'll get Jordan on or like mm-hmm. somebody in a band that loves Slipknot. And then Chris Daly from, uh, you know, smorgasbord came through and he's like hey contact this guy and it was f and he was super cool and he's like yeah all the guys are down to do it that's awesome and i was like oh nice and then you know that happened um so that was like i was stoked to get that just because those guys have never done a podcast i don't think they've done any interviews um so for me, that was like one of the biggest wins so far of doing this is like we got all three guys from Slipknot and they were cool. And like Stymie, uh, whose you know, name is uh, James, uh, right? It's James. Why do I? Yeah, James. Br- Jason, you know. Yeah. 
because we're not editing this. So <laughs> it's James. I think it's I, James Brewer. It's James Brewer. Yeah. Uh, he's like an artist and does stuff. So, and it was cool. Like, and I'm, I'm happy to see that Rev is doing this stuff and selling his prints and he's getting some, as Jay, uh, Jason taught me the, the, to say shine. Yo, there's he's getting, did he's I getting tell you some that? shine. Yeah. You didn't tell me that, but I've heard you use it. And I like, yes. <laughs> like, we're, like we're, we're giving, you know, I was glad to see him getting some do for, you know, being an artist. Yeah. So, um, before we go, we decided because this is too enjoyable to, you know, we can't keep it to 30 seconds. We want to just, once we get to after 16, we're just going to have you come back for another rapid fire if you'll come back. Yeah, for sure. And if you're up for it, I think yeah. that'd be cool. Um, if you're up for it, like yeah, in the next 100%. couple of weeks. Um, because we yeah, didn't because, even, we got to talk about inside. Yeah, because I want to talk you and Yeah, so I figured it's just, I yeah. don't want to um, suffer, uh, hurt the quality. Yeah, so, sorry. Um, I'm I'm trying to use an economy of words, but uh No, no, it's, no, I, it's so many it, things are coming back. So it's, it's not like, you, it's oh. us. <laughs> yeah. So up next is Rev 14, another reissue, New York Crew 7 inch. Yeah, I loved my my thing for that one is is uh when something that was hard to get becomes accessible and done the right way. So like having that being able to be in my starter kit was awesome, you know, cause it's, um, and again, kind of like being from the Boston area hearing like, you know, just another, uh, the anecdote and the folklore of like this imaginary tension or real tension between the two cities. And it, yeah, it just sounded, it just sounded like a historical artifact, even if it was only like a, <laughs> it wasn't even that old, you know, when I got it. But. Were Judge done by the time you discovered them? No. So they were supposed to play the rat. They were booked to play the rat. I always, it would be funny to ask to get the real version of what happened. So they showed up super late to the show. I feel like they broke down on the highway and the promoter um, was cringe productions and, and, uh, this guy, John Regan, those top secret productions. And they, as we understood, it was like, just wait there. They're going to go pick up the band and come play. And then they, sh Judge showed up and sold shirts, but they didn't play. <laughs> and what we were told is that the, because they couldn't bring their equipment, like the van was broken down or something, that they got there and like the, only the opening band had equipment. It was pretty bobo and they didn't want to like, play like a subpar set on the shitty equipment now uh, it's just a story i've heard i'm not slagging judge we'll find we will find we'll find out we're gonna find out we're yeah gonna, it was hob you're gonna have to ask well to ask purcell i want to say the bill was go said and done possibly bad trip i could probably find a flyer for it but it was at the rat so so were they so see i'm wondering so it's for me they were so mysterious because they were gone. And like, you know, we knew what the Gorilla Biscuits guys were doing because we had uh Civ. We knew what Youth of Today was doing because we had Shelter and we had Quicksand. We had, you know, Into Another and all that. But like Judge was so mysterious. Like, where's Mike? And there would always be the rumors that like they're going to do a show. Like I remember around the Youth of Today 99 reunions, it was like Judge is going to play a couple songs. Yeah, and, I think... Uh, for for me like i got into like really like when i say 
into hardcore, like actually like a functioning hardcore star, not like a lurker. Yeah. You know, I was still going to shows when like one era was really on its embers and like a new thing was starting. And, and even at that time, like you, even though those bands were bigger, like if you went to a shelter show, Ray was milling around. If you went to a, a girl biscuits show, like they weren't, they weren't, it, they still didn't feel like they're on some crazy level, even though they were big bands, but judge was the one just specifically Mike was like, you're not going to see him anywhere. You know, and like by the time I got into hardcore, he's pretty like ready to check out too. But um, yeah, they were they they had the the aura around them. You know, it's like the less is more approach. Not yeah. there is like so few photos of of them. You know. So then next, keeping on the Judge train, the LP bringing it down. The, that's another one of like how lucky I, I think about this all the time of like how. Like right now I'm inundated with so much music and I'm still like an active seeker. And, you know, there's days where like I try to hear 20 new things and I don't give them enough time because there's 20 new things that I haven't heard plus 20 old things that I haven't heard. And so really stuff really has to hit for me to dig into it. How lucky to have like, whether it was SST catalog or discord or revelation sub pop, amphetamine reptile like all these labels at from the late 80s into the 90s where i'm getting into them it's just like boom 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 like amazing stuff and putting on the judge record for the first time i loved how slick it was people that was like another thing of like oh the lp's too slick i'm like dude this rips like this is how this band should sound just yeah. as much as i love the seven inch, you know, like you can like, uh, that's the weird, the, not to get like all um, like using recordings as some like parallel, but the rigidness of the way people get invested into something. And then it has to be this one thing. It like the removal of the art context. Like we forget that these, this is creative output and it's about the people who made it and whatever they did was the right thing. It doesn't mean it's good. It just means that's what they did. And don't even harp on like, well, we went in with the rock producer and he was doing coke. It doesn't matter. Whatever came out is how it should have came out. And you made it. You created art. That's awesome. It's not meant to be hung in a gallery. And it's not, it's like when people internalize it too much of like, I only like this version of this thing because this is the thing I love. It's like, I don't like every era of REM, but I'm, yeah, I appreciate that they, put out so much music i don't like every era of the cult i don't like every sonic youth album but i'm not disparaging i'm not like i'm fucking anthony goo era dirty <laughs> that's it if you like anything else you're a psycho like what rather ripped sucks like that's such a weird approach it doesn't though but <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah no i and and it's like you'll have the few people like the Chung King, that should have been what it is. And it's like, no, absolutely not. And I truly think that if the LP came out and it was the Chung King, I don't think that they, they would have been as legendary as they were, no. as they are. Because no, bringing that, it down is, is another one that that's just a perfect, like everything about it's perfect. I think the recording's perfect. The music, the lyrics, the layout, nothing to change. No, it's 
it, my friend said it this way. He's like, how could you, cause again, parking lot argument. He's like, how can you like New York crew better? He's like, that's like, like you go to an Italian restaurant and they're using fucking ragu instead of making this really thick, awesome, hearty sauce, you know, yeah. like, he's like, you want the really watery sauce. Like it's still okay. You know, it's still good, but like you could have the robust thick one. And I'm like, kind of of that mind. Like they went, like they took, they leveled up, right? Like they go to Normandy and get this sound that is just pummeling and kind of, I mean, maybe people don't like that recording because it influenced heavier straight edge hardcore and they don't like that direction or whatever. But I'm again, as a kid, I wasn't that discerning. Like I, I didn't know that that outspoken LP was a bad recording until someone pointed out to me. I was like, yeah, it's what it sounds like. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, what that yeah. thing sounds like fucking dog shit. And I'm just like, okay, but I like it. So what, <laughs> you know, like it's weird. Like why and are you almost like fucking body shaming the record, dude? <laughs> what it Seriously. We're, we're, bo we're body positive. <laughs> all of us here. Um, the plus, and then on the flip side, the judge seven inch, I don't want to hear that recorded at Normandy. Like no, I, I don't want to want no. it. I want it the way it sounds like that's the way it's supposed to sound. And like you said, the LPs, you know, in theory, and a lot of, you know, bands supposed to progress, like yeah. not, you know, not go backwards. So sometimes the progression works, like in this case. And yeah, sometimes it's not like, I'm not going to say staring at the sun or staring into this. I, I own the LP. I never can say the right <laughs> title. One's a U2 song and one's staring. It's staring into the sun, right? Mm -hmm. And I like that record, but I'm not going to say that it's better than Screaming for Change. That's insane. But so sometimes progression doesn't work. But in the case of Judge, I think it uh, it paid off. So hey, if I was of, writing if I was writing fan fiction about Judge, I would say that like as the Judge Seven Inch sounds, it sounds like a dude who like had such a bad night that he banded together with his friends and went to the only open studio in New York and just belted out this negative ass thing. And people liked it so much that he knew he had to take this negative ass energy and turn it into something even bigger. And then that's like what you get on the LP. So it's like, I like the idea of like how the, the single, the seven inch just sounds like an angry impulse yeah. that unlocked this other thing, you know? I think that's perfect. Perfect well, because yeah, it, and it it also has like elements. The seven inch has elements of what we would consider the evolution of from demo to seven inch to LP. They like almost kind of skipped the demo and just went straight to New York crew. And then, you know, we got the 12 inch later and similarly the trajectory with no for an answer, like there is a no for an answer demo, but that's obviously for people like me, that was like inaccessible. So you got, <laughs> the seven inch and then you got the 12 inch and you can really see the yeah like, and same with gb like yeah i didn't know the demo i the, to me the demo sure. was the 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 seven inch um but i guess speaking on progression we'll wrap up this rapid fire with what we decided after a while was the first real like left turn uh for rev and that yeah. is shelter perfection to desire yeah, I want to say I know Krishna wrote these songs, but in talking to Tom Capone, he wrote them too. <laughs> and for Radio <laughs> Silence, and he, I only bring it up, and that's not 
a dig at all. Sure. I, that's me being playful. What I thought was super interesting is Tom was talking about how he was getting Ray into Celtic Frost at the time. And there's like a huge influence. And you, I would have never, I love that context. Cause now I'm listening to like death and dying and I'm like, Whoa, I, that dissonance and heaviness. Cause when you think of the record, we, we always think of the first track first. Right. And it's like, you know, that's kind of like boppy and happy. It's like, no, oh, it's like, they kind of trying to do the, a chili pepper and thing filtered through like without slap bass or something, you know, it's like this yeah. happy or it's like, or it's kind of like how someone who doesn't listen to a lot of music would interpret Fugazi. And I mean that in the best way, because Ray said he wasn't really, so he was kind of like, yeah, okay, that's the same thing. And then the record takes all these, you know, it's got thrashier songs, weirder, not weird um, songs that are more dissonant, it's almost like mixtapey, which is kind of the blueprint of, sorry. Uh, it's almost a blueprint of shelter going forward. It's like, they're going to dip into all these styles, yeah. you know? And I thought I love that record and it was cool because shelter was really great early on. And that was like, I didn't get to see youth today. So seeing early shelter shows and feeling that like urgency again, it's like, like, Whoa, Ray's smaller than I thought. Purcell's smaller than I thought. <laughs> then it's like, holy shit, dude, they're fucking, it doesn't matter. They could be two feet tall. They're, what's going on? And there's some old, like, de devotee playing bass. Like, it was, it was kind of cool. Like, I talked to Vic Dakara about this when we interviewed him, of kind of, like, he was a, started off in metal, and he liked Iron Maiden because there's this whole world around it. And, I, and it was like, well, in a way, like, especially with 108 you like blurred the lines of like like think of the um all the illustrations in the bhagavad gita like the ones that are like super raw like the one you know more like chromag style it was kind of like melding these worlds into a real thing where like there is something super unnerving especially at that time being 14 15 you go somewhere and it's like these dudes are trying to induct you into a cult and yeah, I mean, playing, and, and <laughs> you know, and they're playing this gnarly music and they're in your face and dudes blowing a shell and the, it's, but they're heavy. And like that experience, it's like, and you go back to school and someone's talking about like fucking Carolyn Manson or whatever that is. You're like, that's just not evil, dude. This shit's yeah. fucking scary. Like this is a visceral experience. Like there was a show where like where 411 and Shelter played together and then Rain just... Ray and Dan just debated outside of the show and everyone's watching like a, like a, like a boxing match, you know? And it's like, that was the most exciting thing. Like it was like a fucking, it's like a podcast before podcast or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, I, with I wasn't around for that whole, you know, like the Christian core stuff happened. Like it was kind of on its way out by the time I was, like you said, like entrenched in actual, like hardcore, like not just like a lurker, like, yeah. you know, so like, I would say like 96, 97, like shelter had beyond, like beyond planet earth was the first one I remember coming out in real time, but it's nuts to think that there was a point. Yeah. Where especially 1989, 1990, 91, like all the stuff they were talking about was completely alien to people. Like, you know, and now it's yoga is like, there's yoga all over the place. There's, you mm -hmm. know, 
Eastern philosophy and there's people, you know, Bhagavad Gita. And this is like, kind of like more of a household thing, but I can imagine back then it was like a mind fuck to be like, I'm at this show and there's dudes in orange robes jumping around and lighting incense. And like you said, like there's this guy on base that's just an old devotee dude. Like he's not a hardcore guy. Like they're handing out books and beads. Well, yeah. Everybody. Cause, cause there was, I'm not an extreme, even as a kid, I, I might've been crazy, but I wasn't an extreme person. I was just, I was super curious about things. So on one hand you'd have like, some friend of yours who's now like super into Krishna and they, you know, like anyone who gets into anything, you can remove the construct from it. It's like someone who gets super into model airplanes and like, they're just a person about model airplanes and that's all they're about. And I'm being a young person. I'm into like, I'm reading all this different stuff. I'm getting into philosophy or whatever. And then here's this thing in real time that I can interact with and make judgments about and it was kind of like a cool lesson of, I think there's some really great stuff. I'm going to read this literature. That's cool. I can pull some applicable things out of this into my life. And then I also understand this culturally and where it came from. And it gave me an insight into something larger than myself. And that was kind of a cool blueprint for me of like, it wasn't like, okay, I'm straight edge and I'm going to get into this thing. And then a year later, I'm going to be a hardline dude. I just was like, oh, I can always pull things from all this other stuff. And so that was like really, it's kind of funny that like the shelter record is a part of critical thinking, but I didn't grow up in this Vietnam era, protest era. I grew up in a relatively calm era for, you know, white people. <laughs> you know, obviously yeah. like Rodney King, it, racial injustice has been happening the whole time, but there wasn't a global or sorry, like a countrywide unrest. There wasn't a massive economic um, collapse. It was kind of a stable time relatively. And so there was a lot of, like, I, I think being around all these cultural revolutions, being around riot girl movement, being around um, really political hardcore, places that exposed me to meeting the, the first time I met someone who was trans, people who were... Uh, you know, open about their sexuality and, and owning it where like a couple years prior, they would have felt like they had to be in the closet. It was a cool time to have all of that. And sort of the center point, like the flagpole was a hardcore scene. You know, even if I went to like a dinosaur junior show, it felt somewhat tangential to hardcore or, you know, like one weekend going to see Huggy Bear two hours away from where I lived and then coming back and seeing Burn. It was like all the same shit to me. Yeah. And it was cool to to have all, be around all these different ideologies and, and sort of be like a vaguely familiar with all these things that were different subcultures and be able to pull from them. So that's kind of like my mini story of that record was like being exposed to something, especially the CD with like the longer form and the lectures and all that. I'm like, this is cool. I'm not... I'm not a Hare Krishna, but I think some of this stuff, like the way to look at the world and to think about like gratification and, you know, just structure and material world, like that's really interesting stuff when you're a teenager. Yeah. It makes <laughs> you think, you know, like that's, yeah. that's what I would say. And like, to me, that's like, you know, we got into punk and hardcore because we, 
like to think and we kind of like to like look at the world maybe differently than somebody who's just spoon fed everything that they're supposed to believe. And that includes stuff that maybe you don't understand, like, like, you know, politics, you know, because again, you're growing up in like middle-class house. You don't know about, you know, a lot of the stuff you don't, you don't really think about racial injustice and uh, sexism and homophobia and all that. And then all that stuff was stuff that I learned from, like punk and hardcore same um yeah and it's like where you want to take it like people trip on how many of their heroes and and uh figures are like QAnon people now in the hardcore scene i'm like i don't trip that is the most obvious thing of all time you take a bunch of people who were love questioning things and then stop mentally maturing once they were like i found my thing this is it i don't need to Unity is good. <laughs> you know, staying united is good. I have my, you know, I'm going to stay true to things. I'm going to be a good friend. Okay, cool. I don't need to mature that much past this. And I'm going to question everything now. And then it's almost like, uh, like I understand it. Like when you're a young person, you learn from seven inches, which are essentially just memes, right? And then now you, your worldview is memes because that's your critical thinking. So it's like, for me, it was like, it was always question the questions, right? So like, if I'm going to poke holes in Ray Capo, I'm going to poke holes in myself. I'm going to poke holes in something else. I'm going to poke holes in Earth Crisis later. You know, it was never, it was never about just accepting that information because there's always someone coming up behind you with a different worldview. You know, that's how we progress. So it's like, yeah, I bet if you're a fucking dusty old hardcore dude and someone's asking you what your pronouns are you don't get it and you're mad but it's like that's how the world gets bigger and more diverse and cooler and more accepting you know it's like like i don't know it's it's like that um maybe a sopranos episode where he talks about how it's like always 1952 in the house or whatever i don't want it to always be when i thought the world was cool because that world sucked for someone else at the same time yeah. You know, like yeah. just because I yeah. heard a song and was like, oh, my God, racism is bad. It wasn't eradicated because I wrote racism sucks on my jacket. And, you know, there was someone getting called slurs that day and someone who lost their job that day and someone who was abused that day, someone who was killed that day. Just because I heard a fucking song that told me it sucks didn't change anything. It's what you do with that view. So, yeah, I don't I wouldn't want to be frozen in any time, but i really appreciate that I had exposure to all these things that I could then be talking to you about, like how a shelter record changed my worldview. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, we we've said too, and it was kind of confirmed by Norman Brannon that shelters kind of ushered in. I'm not, I'm not going to say responsible for, but for a lot of us, it was the real turning point into nineties hardcore. And this record specifically because the subject matter is so different. The sonically, it is so different from the previous stuff. And so it kind of showed people like, oh, fuck, we don't have to be youth crew or we don't have to be unity or we don't have to be this or that. We can do other things. And then it snowballed from there. So Rev 16 really is... You know, it's the first record in the 90s for Revelation Records. And if you look at the Rev catalog, 
pre and post 16, it's so different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, they did of course do a lot of the reissues, the youth of today, and they've kept, you know, the, the gorilla biscuits and judge in uh press, but then Iceburn and engine kid and curl up and die. And all of these, you know, things that came afterwards. Um, and then with what you were saying about these old New York, I'm just going to say it, New York hardcore guys who are, you know, maybe <sighs> QAnon conspiracy believers. Like I can understand, and I'm not saying that I agree with it, but I can understand why some of them are like, oh, you're going to believe the mainstream media now. Like now we've been taught to not believe this stuff. And so we're looking for an alternative to the, to that information but you're going to criticize us for it, like pick a lane, you know, with that kind of stuff. So I, like you said, I can see where they would come up with that stuff, even if we don't subscribe to it. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I mean, having worked in media and, and understanding the structure of media, it's like, we're in the United States, we're in a capitalist society. If we peel back the onion and anything like, Oh, weird, this is, everything is driven by profit. Like our lives are driven by profit. You know, like the idea of having a job is not, it's a relatively new concept. Like just the idea of jobs, that's not how societies worked before. You weren't hired to be a farmer. You had like um, currency and whatever, you know, you just had a farm, whatever. It's more, so it's funny. We just don't think that like the concept of a job is relatively new, but to go back to media, when I see a friend go to Liberia and eight months later publish a story in a major media outlet and knowing how much that story was edited, fact-checked, the sources involved, that it wasn't just whatever, and you're telling me that's a bad source, but a misspelled post that you rifled off is accurate or some whatever. It's like I get the idea of questioning things, but I also have a lot of respect for the media, which like sounds like, whoa, that's the craziest. Anthony's a fucking boomer. It's like, no, I have a lot of respect <laughs> for people and their craft and what it takes to be a highly regarded journalist. And I just tell people, if you want a reliable source, can you sue that source? Right? Like, so if you're getting health information from somewhere and it's alternative medicine or whatever, it's, and that person is a reputable person is like, listen, these are my credentials. This, these are the classes I took. I'm an herbalist, whatever. I'm giving you advice. I'm standing behind my vice. If you take this advice and there is repercussions, I'm, I'm a, a reputable source where I'm here, right? And it kind of scales for everything. Um, if there's something in the New York Times that I don't believe, I can press them for a retraction. I can sue them if there's libel. Like there's, a, there's something about these structures that like, okay, but then a lot of the stuff people are getting not to go on a diatribe, we don't even know who's behind it. We don't know where it's coming from. So to me, that would breed some skepticism. But I think people are more um, concerned about the sugar rush and the sort of like the endorphin release of like these things that like validate, 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 where they don't step back and say, well, wait a minute, what's the implication of this or, you know, whatever. But we're just so quick to like slag the media. It's like, it's, it's it's almost a thankless job because when people say the media, it's like saying you like music. What does that mean? 
you like, <laughs> you like Billie Eilish and, or do you like free jazz? Like you like music, the media, what does that mean? Like OAN is the media and CNN or the media, how are, and then someone's gonna be like, they're the same thing. It's like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> or even like, and like, in, it's like, well, aren't, you know, you're doing interviews for, isn't punk news the media too? I mean, yeah. if you think about it, right? Or no echo or whatever. Like, if the media, if your view of the media is anything that echoes what you believe, then you're watching entertainment. If your view of the media is a resource where you can, volley different things and try to take the temperature of where you are that's a lot different you know so it's like i, I don't know it's like my mom you know d- depending on like the age group of your parents they might think i'm like in a protest zone in new york not knowing it's just a perfectly normal day in brooklyn you know and it's like but if you don't watch two channels you don't know that so that's kind of like how i see it uh, yeah well um i guess to wrap up speaking of of, super no that's it yeah no that that's i think that's an (laughs) awesome that was perfect yeah Yeah, i thought that was great but to talk about media real quick you have this uh new book that i think is it a book or i feel like you know the novella it's a novella the the curb your enthusiasm where uh uh, george costanza's acting without acting yeah like a pamphlet because i was able to read it and yeah i was able to read it demo in one night but um same and uh i really enjoyed it it cool. brought back a lot of so it's called heaven or las vegas i think you said you're sold out of the pressing yeah right? there's going to be a new one that uh walter Schreifels did a blurb for so shout out walter for doing that i really appreciate it which i when i asked him to do it i wasn't really thinking that like he's there's such blurry fictional fiction non-fiction fictional mm-hmm. retelling of things like an amalgamation of a bunch of experiences although some of it fact checked because i don't want there to be stuff in there that's not real tricky whatever but i asked walter to do it and then as i like fired off the text i was like oh well that's weird because he's in the book but it's not a music history book and then he really sent back this really sweet um blurb so the next edition will have that on the back cover but yeah that like i call it a demo because i'm going to be writing i'm in the middle of writing something that's going to be a proper novel, so probably closer to 300 pages, but I wanted to do something to like figure out the publishing arm, how I do it myself. Do I need to promote it super hard, you know? Um, and just as an exercise, go back to writing that I've done and see if I can pull something out of it. Cause I wrote that so long ago and it was 200 pages. And I was like, you know what? I can boil this down to a small story that I think people just might, enjoy and it'll be quick yeah. and like anyone any type of reader can get it you know you you really captured um working in a supermarket i'm sure you've heard that and i think walter <laughs> even touched on it yeah. because like i worked in two different supermarkets and uh like i was like it like took me back to that that time of you know working for acme um <laughs> and then we had a super we had a supermarket here too that i never worked for called Genardi's, oh, right. you know, owned, Damien, uh, the family, the yeah, Damien, family biz. From yeah, in my eyes, that was his family's store. Now you know, from uh, the, True Love Always in Brooklyn. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm, so. you know, from the Philly area, but uh, yeah, like you captured, and uh, I was definitely. I don't want to spoil the book, like for people that want to read it, but I was definitely taken aback by that the catwalk talk. 
And of course the fucking guy that, uh, you know, jerks off behind the mirror is named Greg. That was, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, stuff, <laughs> that's, that's that was, a wild ass time. You know, that's a, yeah. it's, it's weird because like in remembering things or like writing them down, like there's a bunch of stuff that I pulled out. Cause I mean, that memory is wild. There's stuff that's wilder. And it's almost like you feel like thinking now I'm 46 years old. If, if, if I was in that same job now and something like that happened, it would be like, whoa, like I am snitching on this creep. Like this is crazy. Like this dude's a violator. <laughs> right. But you're a teenager. You're just like, I guess this is, I mean, even then it's, and you can tell like, it's weird, but you, like you said, in hindsight, as an adult, you're like, no, this is fucking really weird and fucked up. Yeah. But- and also like, if you tell, like, if you have the courage and I'm not even making, I'm not making light of this. This is actually like a very serious point. Back then, just, you know, at that time and for people now, coming out to someone and saying you witnessed something really wild, they're, they're going to ask, well, why did you see that? What were you doing? You saw this dude doing something crazy? What were you doing? And it's like that, like, you don't believe, you don't believe people's, um, Right experiences because you weren't around for it. So even, yeah, I, I think about it then. I'm like, what would I have? What was I actually thinking when I saw crazy stuff? And <laughs> yeah. a lot of times you would just cut those people off, like they and would, just to let people know that's like a very small detail yeah. in the book. Yeah. But I just thought thought it was funny because when you talking about working in a supermarket, we didn't have that catwalk, you know, mm-hmm. like because there was because I was a bagger too. But the one thing I like to do was the reshops where you just like, here's all the stuff people didn't want and walk around and put it back. And mm-hmm. I could make that take my full four hour shift of just like walking around with the car. Like that was the <laughs> one duty that I was like, okay, cool. And uh, so yeah, people should definitely check yeah. out the book. You know what um, I appreciate? And Anthony, I, I reached yeah. out to you and said, this is that like, this isn't just uh, another book that talks about memories of a scene. You know, we have plenty of those. We have so many books that especially the three of us have collected over the past couple of years where it's talking about straight edge or New York hardcore, DC hardcore, whatever. This is a hardcore kid who's making a piece of art that's not a record. And uh, Ross from Ceremony recently put out a book. Uh, Anthony from Ceremony, you know, published it. And I got it like maybe a month or so before your book. And those two pieces of art to me are so fucking cool because it's just something different that you made. And, and I really appreciate that it's hardcore kids that are now doing something, you know, where it's not a painting or a shirt or something, it's going into a new, a new direction and that's literature essentially. And, and I, I, I love that. I really thank you so much. Cause that, you kind of interpreted it in a different way, not that I intended it, but like that it is sort of a telling a story about a thing in a different way. And that that's really cool. Um, one thing I want to say just about that book that to contextualize it a little bit, because we did only talk about a very weird part is, is that <laughs> what, what I was trying I'll leave to, it to me. I, what I was trying to do, if you think of like those kind of like, the cliche, not cliche books, but like the books everyone reads are kind of like the game changers in school 
it's specifically aimed at people who don't really read, whether it's like Catcher in the Rye, maybe uh-huh. it's the Outsiders, uh-huh. you can Old Yeller, whatever, Shane. Lord of the um, Flies. Lord of the Flies. So what I wanted to do, being very cognizant of my age, is that, well, if someone's 20 years old right now, they're going to read about, I'm going to nail what the 90s, the specific part of the early 90s was like, so that you understand it in the same way that someone nailed the 60s for me. Like when I read The Outsiders, it wasn't like, I, I was like, whoa, their culture was so weird. But then you relate to the characters. And I was like, whoa, I have an opportunity here to write about a type of character that doesn't exist anymore. That was very specific to this analog time. And maybe someone younger will look back on it the way I looked at like those older characters and, and just think about the story. And I was like, but then it it tripped me out that, you know, wearing like Jerbeau jeans and like a striped Stussy shirt in 1990 and (laughs) driving around listening, you know, kids with, uh, CB radios and just the stuff we did is like very ancient, you know, not having. I feel like this could have been like, this would have been cool, like maybe not a movie, but like it could have been like a, uh, an, an hour long episode of a TV, sh- like sort of like how there was, I know there was that movie mid nineties, you know, so, but sort of yeah. like just a throwback to that whole era. Like it could have just been like a, like an indie film. Of- I did- yeah. I, I tried to write it like a script, to be honest, just make it super digestible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely nailed that time period. I loved when uh, you were describing the people outside of the quicksand show talking about Walter, and it was spelled out with a thick accent. I could, I could see that. And yeah. I also, <laughs> I I liked, uh, and this is so random, but I don't know if it happens now. But just as random, random as the part fight. I brought up, or now, <laughs> it's a little, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's less random, but just 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 random fights that would happen. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're skating somewhere like, and someone rolled up on you and tried to fight you, that was normal. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like yeah. even in the '90s, like you know, you have those people. Like, man, when I I got into punk rock, when it was called "Hey," you know, insert slur yeah. here. But like that shit was real even in the '90s. Like we were like freaks or subhumans. Remember getting called a subhuman? Uh, I never got called that's, a subhuman. That was in our yeah. in our school. There was like, oh, you like you know, what, what I, like punk and you weren't you know ripped jeans or whatever you're a subhuman well like that's you know what what i noticed like in in thinking back is that there's starting to be in the in the early 90s there's a generation of people who are coming back from combat and like we forget we think of desert storm as this really quick war it wasn't you know like it didn't just stop when it was like oh that thing was like a week and whatever and so there were combat veterans coming back to society which we hadn't like i hadn't experienced i didn't experience people coming back from the vietnam war so there actually were like veterans coming back they were like close to my age and probably seeing some wild ass kids like making all this noise is is triggering and like i get like we would get into fight with dudes who are like probably having ptsd or just flipping out like these war dudes that were close to our age and that shit was terrifying so it's almost like i don't think there's always like the weird suburban struggle of like the othering of people and like class structure and all that. And then there's also this undercurrent of like tensions and people, you know, a new generation having um, 
sort of like their psyches changed by being in actual combat. It's kind of, it's kind of like, we don't think about that, but I, you know, I was thinking back to that significant things at that time. And, and that was one that was formative, like the threat that like we were going to start getting into like a, a larger war. I knew we were always in perpetual wars, but the fact that like, my God, my whole generation could be defined like we could be in the Middle East for the rest of my life. Well, we are, but you know, like yeah, thinking right. there was going to be a draft and that, you know, we're all going to be fighting in like Iraq or Iran. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, I guess I, I, I just thought of that because I do remember being attacked by this war vet dude and us retreating. Cause I was like, this dude will kill us all. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't know who we think we are. Like I'm, I'm out dude. Like just let this dude have it. Because there are there's a couple. Well, like I said, we'll wrap it up because I, I don't want to ask specific questions and sure. spoil yeah. the story. So everybody but everyone should, should order the book. Yeah, everybody should get the book when it when it uh, comes to the second pressing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'll have to ask you on the side. Cool, <laughs> Anthony. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yeah. This has uh, been a, a cool detour for us, right on the road. So um, yeah, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And Jason, yeah, what do we got in the next episode? Next episode, Rev 30, Mike Judge and Old Smoke, LP, Sights. Nice. What a what a another mystery. A mysterious, very mysterious record. And we'll try to unlock some of it. We'll try to yeah. unlock. Yeah. And then we'll like you we said, Anthony, we will have you back sooner rather than later because I would love to get your perspective on 17 through at that 30. point it'll be 30 because yeah. like i said i want to do it so, i don't want to have a big backlog so it'll it'll probably be in the next couple of weeks cool. i want to talk Spoiler about alert. your uh inside out true crime episodes those were pretty interesting <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and that's yeah. what i said so we'll, we'll we'll be in touch like i said sooner rather than later yeah thank you thank you all for all the work you're doing and the, the effort you put into this and yeah, it's just been cool to to like watch the ride every week and and see different twists and turns and I don't know that I think you know if I, I I recommend the podcast to people because it makes you it it really does reframe things and it makes me go back to records and listen to them again and I've really enjoyed that part because it's like like I have all these things on my shelf and I go to them here and there but going into them fresh and listening to them in sequence and like pulling them off the shelf and interacting with them. It's, it's a cool companion to the, to the catalog. So yeah, just, yeah, really appreciate all the work and for, thank you for being awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I consider that high praise yeah. coming from you. So I appreciate yeah. it. And I'm actually glad that we not only will get to talk to you at this, but we will get to talk to you about actual releases on rev that you were on. Um, a lot of pressure for me to make it, dude. I got scared. <laughs> I got scared when they announced like a My Bloody Valentine show a year in advance. I'm like, am I going to fucking be here for that? Like, scary. <laughs> but yeah, we are hoping so. All right. I'm, uh, I'm going to start juicing now. Yo, fellas, it's Shroud in Kansas City. I uh, just finished listening to the 
Judge the Storm episode. And uh, texted Hob about this, but uh, in the cassette version of the layout, uh, Porcel is not listed as a member of the band or in the band credits, which is kind of odd. Uh, also, I'm intrigued by this O'Neill the horse fucker. Um, so, yeah, Hob hit me back on that because I want to know more about this character. It's a great name. You guys are killing it. Love the podcast. Uh, I say keep doing it, but I know you will. So, yeah, thanks for everything. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Jay, formerly of Harm's Way, a bunch of other bands you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, first of all, love the podcast. Uh, calling in about the Slipknot 7-inch. Uh, yeah, I first heard you guys mention that, uh, kind of joking in an earlier episode. I was kind of laughing, a little bit bummed, like, oh, man, don't, don't, don't dig on that thing. It's great. Uh, and then heard you call out on the Chain episode today, which, by the way, excellent episode. Chain is still one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, absolutely love that episode. Uh, job well done there. Uh, yeah, that Slipknot 7-inch, man. As a kid growing up who was into metal before hardcore, when that thing dropped and came out of nowhere, such a callback to me. You know, metal, I actually like metal more than hardcore. <laughs> Uh, especially these days, but uh, that thing is a beast, man. Uh, so, you know, just it just came out of nowhere. Uh, please don't skip over that one. It, it deserves credit. I know a lot of people kind of joke about that thing. Not that you would skip over it, but you know what I mean. It needs some love. Please give it some love. Dirty as hell. Later, guys. Yo, what it do, what it went. Uh, shout out Greg, Hav, all the homies there. Jason, uh, I really do appreciate everything you guys are doing. This is awesome. I'm very excited for the Orange 9 millimeter, uh, discussion. That's going to be super sick. Did it though. Everyone that listened to this and, uh, thanks a lot. Yo, I want to thank you boys for keeping hardcore alive in 2021. COVID and riots and bullies in the streets. We're sorry. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. Please check the number and dial again or call your operator to help you. Everybody, this is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Bram Hubble, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Logan Weasel, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you'd like more information on how to help us out every month, you can go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com and, like, figure it out. Look us up on Patreon. All right, we'll see you next episode. Bit of both.